0: Napa Know
1: How. Right now, you can get a $20 prepaid Visa gift card by
0: mail with the purchase of a Napa Legend Premium Battery. Its durability and power make it the obvious choice for people who hate getting stranded by a dead car battery. So pretty much everyone. The Napa Legend Premium Battery and $20 back. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa Know How.
1: Napa Know How.
0: At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care Centers. Limit two per household while supplies last. Offer ends to
2: 2819. The Big Papa online network on Blog Talk Radio is on the air. voice superimposes itself over the theme music, just as my voice did when I started speaking. Your opening announcement would sound like this. Tonight, the Blank Company presents another of the exciting adventures in the life of... Doc Savage. Amateur detective, soldier of fortune, champion of lost causes, who now comes to his loyal friends through radio with more of his baffling and intriguing mysteries. We invite you to follow in the footsteps of Doc Savage. We invite you to... to try blank. At this point, your announcer will describe your product, store, or service, followed by 40 words of selling copy. The music fades, and at this point in the program each week, your local announcer presents a minute and a half of your selling copy. However, as is customary on the premier performance of network shows, let's listen to the following suggested personal message to be read on the opening program by your local announcer or a chief executive of your company. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight is a great one in the career of the blank company. For tonight, we present for the first time... The most celebrated adventure detective of fiction and the screen.
0: Doc Savage. Weird scenes inside the gold mine.
2: Who will now be brought to you, our good friends and his loyal friends, through radio. We have developed this program for your entertainment. To make your more pleasant. And the circle a weekly date on your calendar to get together with the Blank Company. The adventures of Doc Savage. Come to you directly from just off Times Square in New York City. Where every for your entertainment, we will assemble a sparkling cast of dramatic stars to bring you the very best, the most brilliant, just as we of the blank company always bring you the best in blank products. Be sure to tune in every when
0: Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Goldmine
2: will thrill you again with another complete, pulse-pounding story in his career of breathtaking adventure. Such is the program that we have arranged especially for you And we of the Blank Company sincerely hope that
0: Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine
2: brings you as much pleasure each week as it gives us in presenting him to you. And now, on with the show.
0: Soon the weird scenes inside the gold mine, and I sent a guide to all things wild and wonderful and full of cult entertainment. Tonight, the Lion of Winter, I'll read the Papa Online Network. Nearing the end of the fourth season of Weird Weirds Inside the Goldmine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Louis Paul, as we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. So tonight, uh, while American audiences would later thrill to the likes of Clint Eastwood, Lee Marvin, Steve McQueen, and James Coburn, uh, one of the earliest tough guy actors of their vintage actually hailed from the U.K., noted as much for his personal volatility and drunken escapades as his intense, angry young man portrayals of -of out-of-control teddy boys and such like. Oliver Reed would display a surprising versatility covering musicals, literary classics, and Shakespearean roles with the same panache as he would hammer films, cult sci-fi affairs, and wildly homoerotic Ken Russell uh, libido fests. So rivaled only by the mad German pole Klaus Kinski for his sheer insanity both on set and off, joining us as we talk one of the most controversial and beloved figures in British cinema history, the late, great Oliver Reed. So uh, I am Doc Savage, and with me in the background playing weird music is uh, Mr. Lewis Paul. Oh, this oh, is
1: very pissed off tonight because uh, not only can I not use my headset, my op- that option is not available to me on Blog Talk. Oh nice. I can't use and I can't use Skype. So I'm using my
0: fucking phone,
1: which I hate.
0: <sighs> Good Lord. Did you get the uh you mentioned that your direct link was missing. I just resent it to you. It was in there, but uh, just to leave it and resend it. So you should check your email. So maybe you can, uh, if it does show, you can try dropping off and come back on or, you know, open a second line Which or whatever.
1: Which one, uh, the Zen one?
0: Yes. So that may fix your problem. Was,
1: I don't know because I don't have any of those options. They used to be there.
0: Yeah, and, uh, uh, the Skype was actually back tonight after like, what is it, four weeks of off. Uh, but they were strange about it because... It's actually forwarding you to another line. Uh, I don't care because it's getting me in. That's all important. But uh, that's what's going on. Mm. There. There's been a lot of problems. Mm. Either of the shows, I or, like, three or four weeks. Yeah, know all the problems that are going down. Um, yes. But yeah, I, mean, I think see their direct connect link. Not in He's there. Dry. So yeah. it
1: might take a while to visit me. How do
0: I sound? <laughs> you sound right, a little muted, a little muffled, but not terrible. Uh, you know, typical phone uh, connection, I guess.
1: Yeah, so. unfortunately.
0: Keep, oh, an stuff, Keep an eye on the spam phone. Keep an eye on the emails. Yeah, come on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you drive me nuts, man. You post 40 fucking videos a day. You can't send me a link?
0: <laughs> you were in there that's what I'm like what are you talking about Your name's right there Alright fine I'll just delete it And re-add you And
1: send you another one No um, I was I was in there But then I said Oh I can't do anything
0: Because <laughs>
1: I'd rather not call Because <laughs> this you can't hear My, my golfer
0: tones and That's it your um, golden tone. Like who was yeah, that asshole so, uh, Jay Black He always said Oh do you hear those golden tones Remember that commercial he always had And we listened to his old music From like 20 years ago <laughs> Anyway,
1: we're, we're, we're we're doing this by phone and, and his at tones tonight. Um <laughs> if if we can improve this mid show we will. Uh yeah, we're talking Oliver Reed tonight. Um
0: uh the uh, <laughs> you have posted a British- couple of videos today which uh, got yeah, shared out on the weird scenes page. In uh, the Big Papa page, for those who are looking, uh, at least one of them, because it was that fantastic one with him and Shelley Winters, which was infamous. Uh, well worth seeing. Any of you who have not checked it out already, uh, head over to weirdscenes1. Uh, what is it? Facebook.com forward slash weirdscenes1 and check it out for a few laughs, so probably about 10 minutes worth. Uh, and you can always forward through Shelley Winters because she's hard to take. But <laughs> after a while, they start doing some interactions when Oliver shows up and it gets really amusing. So, uh well, Shelley has
1: her fans.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So does Joan Crawford. So does... <laughs> uh, but anyway, we're here to talk Oliver Reed, who is, um, like I mentioned, he was kind of – I had put out to you that I wanted to do a Kinski show. And as an mm. author, I was like, well, we could do it. We even suggested doing it together, but that would be too much. It's just too big. Uh will because I'm like, well, who is his closest counterpart? Who, what two guys do you think of in the same breath? There you go. Um, so we said, you know, you want to do Alvaro Reed first, and here we are. Uh, basically, I'll just give you a couple of overall things. First of all, he claimed, and I don't know how true this is, because I've got a friend uh, who actually claims to be descended from Charlemagne. I'm like, yeah, sure, right? I mean, who knows, but, you know, it's like, a- Sorry, nice, like a story. Uh, so apparently, Oliver claimed to be an illegitimate uh, descendant of Peter the Great, you know, from Russia. <laughs> uh, he also claimed to be, and this is more likely, been <laughs> expelled from about a dozen schools. Um, Those of you who don't know him, uh, or just have the vaguest inklings of his reputation, think about this. He hung with famous drinkers like Steve McQueen, who told a story that back in '73 he flew to the UK to talk about a film project together with Reed, and they went out drinking, and apparently it wound up being like this huge pub crawl, and Reed got so drunk he actually threw up all over McQueen. he hung around with the, the Who's infamous uh, drummer, uh, Keith Moon, which was, of course, he met him on set of *Tommy*, And that says a lot right there. This is a guy that took horse tranquilizers regularly. Uh <laughs> Uh, Peter O'Toole, who's another infamous drinker, and Richard Burton. Those were two very close friends of his. Uh, and they're both hardly lightweights, if you know their reputation. Uh the stories about uh, Liz and Rich or Liz and Dick, there are Legion, and of course O'Toole and you know, there's there's other people, but basically you see the crowd he's hanging with, you get the idea what kind of drinker this guy was. He's no lightweight. Uh <laughs> So back in '87, apparently he was, you know, obviously he's getting older. He put on a lot of weight in the years, and apparently his doctor told him abstain from drinking for over a year. Like, what kind of the hell was that guy? <laughs> uh, oh, looks like he's back on. Let's see. So there you are. Does that sound better? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm happy. Oh yeah, beautiful. So now you get to hear the dulcet tones I, I, of Mister Lewis Paul. <laughs> I like being happy. Yeah, Oliver Reed It gets close to being like you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. I like being happy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And this is the special this is the special old drinking show. What better way to celebrate Oliver Reed? I have here vodka, a uh uh a uh, Manhattan, perfect Manhattan, which has uh, one part vermouth and one part uh, one part sweet, one part dry, and we have sweet action fancy
0: beer, nice.
1: and uh, so we're we're ready to go roll here, yeah. yeah so, and uh, those
0: of you who do not know Mr. Lewis Paul personally, he makes a killer. Vodka Martini. I've uh downed several of them at his apartment. Or <laughs> in often in one night. Uh very uh very well um versed in the art of bartending. I I gotta give you the credit for that. Thank you. Uh, I, I,
1: I have actually been considering doing uh weird YouTube videos of bartendering. Uh straight of course. Um, <laughs> otherwise I'd be too messed up. And
2: uh I, I've
1: been talking with the idea of like, you know what? This might be fun, because uh, I went out with somebody, and they said, oh, what's a Rusty Neal? Because I ordered one, and I said, "Well, wow, it's not a curly drink. It's a really cool men's drink, a little nutty, a little bourbon. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll do a how-to, how to make a proper drink. So I've been considering yeah. that. All, all just... in with the theme of tonight's show, coincidentally.
0: That is correct. <laughs> you know, I'm being simple of, uh, well, not always, as you know, because when I go over your place, I really don't drink wine, but I am a red wine drinker big time these days, and I am having some of that famous middle sister, which is a nice, eh, not cheap, like uh bum wine bob kind of thing. It's not like uh, Ernesto and Julio Gallo didn't put it out, Let's put it that way, but nonetheless, it's not exactly a high-end wine, and it has a nice kick to it, so... That's what I am uh, imbibing in at the moment, rather large portion thereof. Oh, so yeah, we're yeah, all yeah. No,
2: I, know,
1: I, I know you enjoy wine, and uh, I've never had a middle sister's. This sounds very interesting. I'm hoping to hit a couple wineries this summer, too. Uh, have you ever been?
0: Uh no I have not personally I've had friends that did it all the time I've seen photos of it I know what goes down there and you know I wouldn't mind going with you to be honest with you if it's somewhere yeah, in the yeah, area. Yeah. There's, there's quite a few in Jersey um uh, there's
1: there, uh it's a fun time I know I know at least two you, you can go you could sample and if you like them the wines are very affordable
2: mm-hmm. and
1: um, some of them even have bands like jazz bands so you can get toasted oh, nice. under to just sun to some music, and then, like, oh, shit, I have to drive. But, you know.
2: <laughs> what, yeah, I
1: know, right? Well, one place sells, uh, serves cheese, and the other one has, like, pizzas. Like, they make them in the brick oven right outside, so. Yeah, there there's quite a few things. Yeah, we should definitely put it on our menu.
0: Definitely. Uh, um, we're actually going to have to get together anyway to discuss the upcoming season, which, as we mentioned previously, the only things we're pretty sure about is uh, Eddie Constantine and Klaus Kinski, the aforementioned. Uh, but after yes, that, we've yes. got to... We a, are you
1: sure know. about that. And, and, you know, some things that, that your your hosts have to discuss off air yeah. are... Uh, we're, you know, I'm thinking about the addition of some guests, which we kind of bandied about back and forth a couple of times. But I, I think it might just give us a little shot of blood in the arm hey. and... Uh, and, the, you know, so things like that. We will be back. Next week is our last show for a while. We're taking a little break, as we mentioned last week. Mm-hmm. And, uh... But we will be back, and uh, stronger, better than ever. And, uh... <laughs> hopefully more yeah, I mean, fun. Because uh, we, we, we like doing this, and and, and we don't want to be stale. So, uh... uh and we don't want to repeat ourselves, you know. We cover, no, you know, we cover. You can't help but when you're covering genre film and uh, offshoots. What's you know what's the word? Um, that you're gonna have. You know, we we did we did like know, ten hours of just Franco.
2: <laughs> and yet, when we talked
1: about Spanish horror, we brought that up again. Yeah, but you know, of course, just well, to briefly, say, it's just like, okay, we talk
0: just Franco, you know. It, we yeah, are, I try just... to consciously not recover the same ground. It's just, like yeah. you said, you're always going to be touching on the same areas. Oh, by the way, Jess Franco is yeah. one of these guys, and here's so much people. Oh, here's some of the directors that used to work with Paul Nasci, and that's what they're more famous for. But you kind of you know scoot through that quickly and get on to the rest of it. But uh, yeah, that is true. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll be uh, presumably off, you know, I'm thinking about a month, so we should be back on, you know, by September at the latest, um, Mm -hmm. you know, to reinvigorate things here and, you know. It is summertime. We could both use a little break. Even my wife's like, yeah. You know, even having cut things down, not doing three shows a week and uh, having slowed down a bit on the website due to the loss of a certain account who is uh, late and unlamented. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, things have slowed down a bit, and I've got a little more breathing room than I used to. But nonetheless, it's still a lot of and work, the, as this might imagine. might also so help so. us find a new server,
1: too, uh, this amount of time. Yeah, I'm hoping.
2: Yeah, I'm really and hoping.
1: Uh, uh, we will be back, but we might be back on a different server, a different uh, host network. Um, we're we're looking into this because we've been just having a lot of difficulties uh, getting on, beginning our yeah. show. Uh, those unfamiliar with our show, because if people are seeing Oliver Reed and like they're tuning in by the hordes right now,
2: <laughs> we <laughs> hope
1: you are. Uh, uh, those who might be listening for the first time, we usually begin our show with about 10 minutes of banter just to like get us warmed up like a good lubricant, you know, you know, just like <laughs> slide right in there. <laughs> you know, just to, you know, catch up and do, you know, do our little thing and, you know, give little announcements like this, like this is what's forthcoming. Uh, by the way, Euro Spy is next week. So if there's yes. any Euro Spy fanatics, we know you're out there. Um You'll enjoy that one as well. Um, yeah, we'll be
0: covering show. stuff like Jerry Cotton and Commissar X yeah. and the 077 series and a lot of uh, stragglers you know, across the Italian, Spanish, German, whatever else. And things we haven't already covered, obviously, But because uh, you know, we did a show on German Creamy. We did shows on you know British Cult Television, The Avengers, things that kind of cross into that area a little bit. We did Bond, uh, but there are a lot of these things still to cover, and we'll be speaking to a lot of that next week.
1: Yes, we will. Now... Oliver Reed, you know, uh, I always liked the guy. Uh, oh, yeah. Not the not the most warming of personalities <laughs> on screen in, in, in the majority of his work. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, he's been labeled, I don't know, alcoholic. I, this, like, you never know what's going on in somebody's mind. I, he made some bad decisions because <laughs> once things are caught on camera, you're fucked. Um <laughs> here's, here's the one but I I think I might have posted it today, it was from a British talk show. He just was yes. a show His shirt is outside. Yep. His pants are baggy and he looks like he hasn't had a haircut or a shave.
0: And you know, it's a movie, right?
1: No, it's not a movie.
0: You know he, what it reminds Kins- me of? Kins- I have yes, mentioned but- about Kinski being a lot like Reed, and that is true. But another guy that we had mentioned previously, you know, just in passing when we we're talking about the, the the French cinema show, uh the, who I also love, who is very similar to Oliver Reed, just not oh, quite as Brusque. Serge Gainsbourg, yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, this is a guy who was pushing boundaries left and right, and a famous, famous drunk. And he would come on. I mean, if you're looking for the equivalent to the Shirley Winters uh, show that we had posted there, uh, the Tonight Show clips sure. uh, on this page, you should check out the one he did with Whitney Houston on French Talk Show. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, uh,
2: because
0: you know,
1: well, the thing, with, the thing is, Oliver would never do that. Yeah,
0: you know, Oliver, as no. drunk
1: as fucking skunk as he might have been on some occasions. Um. He, yo, oh, I, I, I don't think he would have did
0: what Serge did. Well, remember in, in he's got a, a measure of British reserve. He always carried yeah. himself with that uh, dryness and that air of propriety, which is funny considering that this is a guy that basically embodied the Teddy Boy. You know that that's who he was for much of okay. his career, and not you know, just on film. So. You know what's great about there's there's a
1: couple things on YouTube. Please don't always uh, concentrate on the drunken stuff. Dear, <laughs> I mean, to you guys, not? Out? no, not to you, but <laughs> to the people out there. Um, there's a great little thing out there. I, I forget the date. It's it's a it's a talk show guy, and, and he's sitting down with Oliver Reed, and uh, so Oliver Reed gives him um, a couple of fake sheets, you know, for a role. And he wants this guy to read this part out to him. He's like, no, no. You have to read it with, with emotion. And like, yep. The guy might say something like, how are you today? And he's looking at him. He says nothing. He goes, what? Say it again. And the guy knows. He's kind of freaking out. He's like, how are you today? He's perfect. That's how you say it. I'm doing quite well. And they do this thing for like a half an hour. And it's the most bizarre thing. And, and, and it's like, he was a really good actor. I mean, oh, y'all, yeah. you
0: know, he was really Reed, good. At creepy Reed moments, was one of those guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. <It> was definitely <laughs> the creepy moments. Reed was one of those guys like Richard Harris or Richard Burton where he'd be drunk off his friggin' ass. He knew he was totally bombed. And yet in the middle of it, you'd say, you know, drop a soliloquy or drop a couple lines from your latest movie. And he would act them Perfectly. I mean, the emotion is there, the nuance, and practically he just chills up his spine. But he's drunk off his ass, and he goes right back to you know, being a, a bit Boris drunk right afterwards. So he, the guy had talent, which is why he got away with this stuff. <laughs> he wasn't just like some guy you see down at your local bar. And, and he also
1: had, he also, for me, there were also times when he can elicit some pathos, he, he, oh, y'all. Yeah. He can make you feel for the character, and and and. Uh, I was really like, uh, like, take something like Tommy, you know, because mm-hmm. you mentioned Keith Moore. Take something yeah. like Tommy, which is a really hard, hard, hard movie to criticize, oh. review, whatever you want to call it. Um, because what Ken Russell did was he took The Who, and he took that, that, uh, by that time, what, five year old, um, seven year old, uh, Album basically uh, Double album And he You know He based a movie on it And he had Roger Dolce Who looked phenomenal In the movie No doubt about it Roger Dolce looked amazing At the height of his Appeal Let's say And 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 Oliver Reed Played Uncle Ernie He was the lover That That Anne Margaret Took And it was suggested pervert, That too. The character was a pervert well, He's like a pedophile no, the perfect was 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 uh, was Keith Moon.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. It's been a while since I've seen this one, but yeah. Yeah, it was cousin Kevin. Okay.
1: And uh, so Uncle er- Uncle Ernie was 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 uh, was was Oliver Reed, who became a perfect father. You know, and he's kind of like a a, a bastard. You know, he took him mm-hmm. to Tina Turner to try to get a cure. The Acid Queen, the whole kind of legendary scene there. Yeah, it's a problematic movie for me. But there's a lot of good scenes, and like I thought one of the better scenes is toward the mid-portion to the end, because Oliver Reed manages to actually do something with this part, which is very sketchy. He's worked with Ken Russell before. And we're going to get into all this stuff later on. Yeah. He's worked with Ken Russell before, but, and he probably figures, what, are you, what am I doing in here? I can't sing. They're trying to make me sing on key, and I can't sing, and I'm doing my best. <laughs> And he actually met, There's a, a song that, that Pete Townsend wrote for the movie called Christmas mm-hmm. And he actually Manages in that one scene To actually make you start To really feel for this character mm-hmm. And then going on Like he's like really starting to feel For Tommy y'all, you know, Not in a sensual way but as a, as a parent In a parental yeah. way and, and you know this is like one of the things he, This guy can really do well I mean, you know, when
0: he was younger, Curse of the Werewolf, let's just drop that big hammer. Oh, Buster. yeah. I mean, because on Yo. one hand, he's being a complete bastard and a about, you know, what you want to call him, uh, going around town making trouble. But on the other hand, you're feeling for him because it's a tragic character, more so than even like a Frankenstein. There's you know, this is a character that can't help the fact that he is essentially doomed by birth. I mean, yeah, they put up this supernatural angle on top of it, but really underneath it, it's about, you know, where you come from, family, and the fact that in certain societies, especially in more closed or small towns, that kind of things, um, you you really can't get away from that unless you move the hell out of there. Uh, You're kind of damned by your birth in a lot of ways, and he managed to bring that across. He he could basically stop on a dime, and one second, you're like, wow, what an asshole, and the next second, you're like, Ooh, okay. Well, now I get it, and right, you, you almost like feel sorry for the guy, and then he goes back to being a bastard. Really um, interesting actor. You, know, I, you, you say he's like really good. I don't know if that's really. Good in the sense of like multi-layered because he kind of always, more or less always played the same character or in the same range uh, because that's kind of who he was. He was one of the old guard of actors where uh, they brought over who they were, not quite in the level of like you know Clark Gable or Humphrey Bogart or Cary Grant where they were always the same character because that's who they were, who they portrayed in their regular life. But Mm -hmm. he did always sort of gravitate towards the same roles, always be cast in the same sort of roles. Nonetheless, within that spectrum of uh, acting roles, within that spectrum of uh, faces that he could put on, he was dead on. I mean, there was no question. The guy was a very uh, impactful and emotive actor, a powerful actor, the kind of presence that you can't ignore. It wasn't as blustery and even though he was blustery. It wasn't as see-through, and like, you want to just pop the hot air out as somebody like we mentioned, like Richard Harris or Richard Burton. You know, he wasn't as much of a pompous ass. Uh, he was pompous, but he also got the sense of menace like you had mentioned earlier. You, know, you, like, you knew you didn't want to push this guy too far because he was either going to kick your ass or explode and do something completely crazy. So it's like, okay, well, it's us who's got a kid gloves uh, underneath it all. So I do really respect that. I always enjoyed him for that. Uh, he's not an easy guy to warm to. But he is definitely somebody that you pay attention to. You can't ignore him. He gets in a picture, you know he's there. Um. So. Okay. Oops. Hold on, I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Uh, well, anyway, I'll just um, jump in with this. Scene. You can come back in if you need to. Um, I mentioned about the uh, how he had abstained from drinking for a year. I'm like, wow, that was must have been torture on him. But back in uh, when he did his last film, which was Gladiator, uh, I think yeah. that was right around the millennium. Uh, it was around Bush time, and he was you know pushing 60s, somewhere around there. And I understand, according to one of the actors or extras on the set. That, you know, because a lot of people said, well, he went out the way he wanted to go out and uh, basically in a bar drinking. Uh, but according to this one guy, he says, well, he hadn't been drinking for months before the thing started. I guess he was trying to, who knows, or maybe the doctors were yelling at him or whatever. Uh, he went to the equivalent of an Irish bar. I think they were actually in like Italy or Malta or something like that. Malta. Uh, but, you know, if you've ever been to an Irish bar, you know how, what it's like. It's almost like being in a German bar when you go to Europe. Uh, you get these good-natured people that'll kind of say, yeah, well, I bet you can't do this. Oh, sure, I can. Yeah, I'm another one. Like, you can't beat me drinking this. And they have that thing where they put the glass and you have to, you know, you turn it up and try to drink the whole damn thing, and they, everybody cheers and throws money at you, whatever it is. That kind of a thing. So he got pressured into a drinking competition. And I guess it was too much for him, and he basically had a heart attack and died. Uh, well, which you know, with a bunch of Navy men too,
1: you know. So, yes. uh, you know. Uh
0: and you know whether this is true or not, we don't know. We do know that he died drinking, you uh, know, bar more. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, whether he was
1: pressured, that's that's that's. Yeah, I saw that
0: too. Yeah. Um,
1: I don't know. Um, yeah, I think he's smarter than that. I just think uh, they they could have probably just had a filming break. He probably thought, well, I haven't mm-hmm. drank for a while. There's a bunch of guys here. Oh, aren't you Oliver Reed? Yeah, sure, I certainly am, and. uh how much can you fucking drink, though, when you're going to drop? That's <laughs> the thing. I mean,
0: that's scary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the guy that's was scary. a real. It was the equivalent, the UK equivalent of a roughneck. Not in the sense of being like a football hooligan, but, you know, I don't think he would have been, like, yelling about Brexit or something. But, yeah, let's, let's do this. But nonetheless, uh, he definitely was the equivalent of a tough of that era. And he was a Hellraiser. So, you know, he. I wouldn't say party person, but basically, you bring him into a room. There's a bunch of people there drinking. What's he gonna do? Say no? I mean, he's gonna start down and put everybody under the table. Yeah, but it's—I'm sure
1: part of that was cumulative. I'm sure his body was in really bad shape and uh, internally, and um, um, it probably didn't help Um, because sixty is—you know—when you start getting older. And, like, you hear numbers, like, 50-something, 60, 65. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, they were young. you like, oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, 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 in, in moderate terms, he was pretty young to die. Um, But he looked, uh, actually, he did not look too bad in Gladiator. He did,
0: he did look much older than
1: 60, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, so, yeah. By well, the way, all the movies drink,
1: got it, best movies. Too, I I always thought.
0: Um, you know, it's it's hard living takes it out on you one way or the other, and nine times out of ten, it's going to make you look older. I mean, you might.
2: <laughs> hey,
0: hey, look, you know, pop calling the kettle black here, but you know, one way or another, I don't
2: look older. What are you kidding <laughs> <your past>? yeah. <laughs> me, uh,
0: You know, one way or another is going to take its toll on like you, 25. and like, yeah. <laughs> like you said. Uh, even though when you look at it now, it's like, okay, he's sixty years old, you know, he's still holding up, he still looks like Oliver Reed, he just looks like a you know, well past retirement. 70, yeah, yeah, 50. seventy year old Oliver. Yeah, sixty yeah, yeah. Anyway, Joe, uh I also heard, and I don't know if this is true, this is just something that was up on the internet, that they were considering him at one point for Bond, probably when Connery originally left and they were floundering and they got Lazenby. Uh I'm assuming it was in that era. Uh, because you know Reed was kind of an up and coming
1: stuff.
0: You know, I, heard, I, well. you know, I, I don't know if You know what? Uh, yeah, I read
1: that years and years ago. I'm a big, I'm a big uh, Bond fan, and I read that many, many years ago. And uh, they also considered Burton, and they considered oh, so many other people, and I don't think Oliver Reed would have been a good fit. And no, I don't mm-hmm. think what Burton. But I think I think if we had a choice, I think Burton might have been a better fit than him.
0: But you know, uh, that's arguable. But he, yeah, mm. yeah, it's arguable. I see what you're no, saying. Really, because Reed it's was more like, of a. a uh, like I was trying to get at, more of a roughneck, more of a, I hate to say man of the people, but you know what I mean, more working class in our respect. Yeah, Not yeah, really. Yeah, I mean, it's... he could pull off the posh British accent. He certainly had the gravitas and the, the thing where he could play upper class, and he did often. It's just, you know, compared well, you to know, somebody like if Burton. He did,
1: if he did and he got it, it probably would have saved his life, and it would have saved his career. Um, mm-hmm. Because they're on you, you know, they want to—they're on you like an ass. Those people—they're they're totally on you. It's the same thing with the—I uh, remember when Daniel Craig got the part for Bond. It was really—it bet- was down to two people. It was between him and Clive.
0: Clive Reston? Uh No, I'm sorry. No yep, Clive. Um, you
1: know, Clive,
0: um, you know you're
1: I'm thinking off, of uh, the face, I'm he has a TV show where he plays a British son. And, and gosh. Yeah, oh we're both, God, I'm sorry, know. folks, but well, was, well, it was, it was, it was between him is, and Clive.
0: You know, I always drink for these shows. That's you know, an open secret. Children of uh, Clive. Um, this is an all we read. so we're both going to hit the sauce here. So. <laughs> yeah, we're both going to hit
1: ourselves. <laughs> anyway, uh, but no, just to give you an idea, now, kind of a manly men kind of thing going on. Yes. But it goes way back. You know, you mentioned Teddy Boy earlier and, you know, Oliver Reed was uh, from cut from that cloth. Um, yeah. You know, there, there's a few pictures we're not even going to discuss
0: before like Beat Girl. You know, Beat Girl yeah. was the big one. Actually, and, I was uh, going to start off with going up just a bit before Beat Girl because his first roles were actually playing Teddy Boys, literally. I mean, yeah, and those yeah. of you who don't know what Teddy Boys are, I mean, probably you didn't grow up in the 60s and 70s, but the idea was they were kind of like biker gang types. Uh, if you remember the Mods and the Rockers, that whole thing that was going on in England, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, if they were if the rockers, ever basically. Saw in the movie, yeah. If you saw Quartz in the movie, there you go, right there. Exactly. Or any JD films from you know, the U.S., uh, think of Elvis, but less clean cut. Uh, you know, that kind of an idea. Or uh, better yet, Gene Vincent. Uh, you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, these were guys, you know, James and the Blue Caps. You, you don't want to mess with these guys. And, okay, yeah, this one's skinny, this one's short, but you know they're going to kick your fucking ass if you mouth off. Is that kind of a thing. Uh, going around in leather jackets and, you know, the quiffs and, you know, usually riding motorcycles. Uh, they'd usually be in gangs, hanging on street corners, smoking, drinking, you know, beating well, shit yeah, out. Well,
1: because these guys, people. these guys, these British guys... Were the equivalent of 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 your Brooklyn hood, you know. Yes. If you grew up in, in Brooklyn, New York, and you had the t-shirt with a pack of marbles, and the, the white t-shirt turned up, yep. and you wore the leather jacket on top of that, and the tight jeans, and maybe you stuffed your jeans if your dick wasn't big enough. Bullshit like <laughs> that. The, the, <laughs> don't you love me? The the guys, in England, the the you know the, the mod. These guys, the Teddy Boys, sorry, the Teddy Boys. They were like that equivalent in England. You know, they, exactly. they did the Gene Vincent, uh, come Elvis kind of haircut. They got that little curl thing going on, mm-hmm. white T-shirts. You know, they got they got that whole
0: thing going with the cigarettes. Yep. They
1: were like, yeah. <laughs> it was like
0: totally Charlie Yep, the whole thing. Yeah. And you didn't want to mess thing. with them, basically. It was like, it was 50s rock and roll, but, you know, moving into the 60s, especially in the U.K., uh, over here, they'd already moved on to other things, the Beatles, and then going on to the hippie movement or whatever. But in England, you still had a bunch of people that were hardcore on this, kind of like in the '70s when you got like Shaun and all that kind of crap that was going on, Happy Days, and uh, what was the, um, was it the Ron, Ron Howards in that thing, uh, American Graffiti, you know, that kind of a thing, uh, Grease, you know, it was all that kind of retro thing for the '50s. They never really dropped it. It was going on for many, many years straight, continuously in the UK. So that's kind of what the Teddy Boys were. And actually, like I mentioned, some of his first roles, I mean, like very first roles, were in a couple of Norman Wisdom films playing, you know, basically Teddy Boys. Uh, one of them, he was uh, in a movie theater and they basically came and gave him shit and, you know, beat him around. Uh, and Beat Girl, like you had mentioned, and we can go back to that right now, uh, that's an interesting one. Uh, it's sort of what I said was it was a light JD film. Uh, with – because JV films in the UK are not quite as hard as the stuff you were getting here in the driving circuit. I'll say that. Uh, But same basic idea. Hills, who was kind of like a cute uh, ingenue of the time – she was like this rich girl from like a broken home. You know, her parents got divorced or some shit. And she, of course she starts acting out. So she hangs around – basically how she acts out, she hangs around juke joints <laughs> doing the twist and then winds up trying to become a stripper with the uh, procurer, uh, the pimp here basically being Christopher Lee. He actually ran a nightclub and was trying to convince her to be a stripper. Uh, and of course he was like he a hit part. He was actually like – I don't think he was a teddy boy in this one. He was more like one of the kids that hangs around the nightclubs dancing and shit. Uh, but – uh, you know, for one of these sort of films, especially for a UK one, which are a little more dry as you might expect than the one what we're getting over here. It was a bit. I actually do enjoy Bee Girl. I have it on disc. It's uh it's a fun film. If you have not seen it, I do recommend taking a quick look at it. Uh so how about you? What do you want to say about this one? Uh B Girl, it's
1: uh well, it has Christopher Lee in it in a small part. Uh um, for yep. those Christopher Lee fanatics. <laughs> It's a fun movie. You know, gyrating girls with uh, mm-hmm. big British
0: bosoms. Um, pneumatic girls gyrating and doing the twist.
1: <laughs> and becoming pneumatic. strippers. Thank you. Thank you, pneumatic. There we go. <laughs> Not even
0: Zoptic, but
1: pneumatic. Yes. That's yes. like a car change.
0: Car. I want my pneumatic drilled there. Um, <laughs> Zoptic is different. This I like. This is pneumatic. Yes. Uh, I know, I know, I
1: know. I know. <laughs> How about semi-optic or like almost optic? Yeah, right. um, yeah. <laughs> no, nomadic is correct. Pushing um, the limits. <laughs> Big girl, B girls is is a fun little movie. Um, there's at first, when it was brought over here, it you know it did, did little business, and it wasn't uh, probably until like a couple years later, maybe two or three years later. When I actually started doing better business by then getting the early Hammer films released mm-hmm. in the U.S., and all of a sudden, Beat Girl probably, I'm, I, I'm almost sure, found itself on bills with, like, exploitation. I mean, you know, U.S. exploitation. Sure. Yeah. You know, so people are like, hey, what's this Beat Girl thing? You know? Double, so, triple bills, yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know it's a, it's a, I read, you know, it's a bit of a downer. It's not like
0: entertaining yeah. It's, well, it's, you got to remember, a lot got, of JD films, if you've seen them, a lot of them do have at least points, if not ending entirely on a downer, and that's kind of part and parcel yeah. of the genre. But for what it is, it's got enough fun stuff in it to, uh, to recommend it. Oh, no, it. it
1: certainly does.
0: Certainly does. Uh, so. So if there's nothing else on that one, he did a couple more films that you know, I'm not going to touch on because some of these I haven't even seen. But he started working basically now. He had two main periods okay, beyond just doing back and forth with these roles that he was doing as daddy boys and such and as thugs and as you narrative know, wells and you know, village roughnecks and whatever the hell else. And he would do that throughout these films as well. Uh, basically, his two main claims to fame, he did a whole hell of a lot of programmers with Hammer Films. And then, of course, we had covered Hammer films way back when. Uh, and he did a bunch with Ken Russell, uh, who we'll get to in a bit. So first off, he started working on Hammer. Uh, he had a bit mm-hmm. part in The Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll, which is kind of dry, as I recall. Uh, I re- didn't really like that one. There are Hammer films that I really gravitate towards. This is one of the ones that's like, all right, as a completist, I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad I have it in the collection. But nah, I don't know how often I'm going to touch that one. Um, he was what, in something called – well, One of the issues with
1: that movie is that the the lead in that wasn't Cushing Ali, who has already appeared mm-hmm. in quite a few Hammer movies. And, mm-hmm. um... Wasn't it Herbert was sort of like, Uh No, it was Paul somebody or other. I forgot his
0: name. Yeah, I don't even remember. But it was not impressive. There was really no big names in it. Because Reed, remember, was not a name yet. He was kind of a bit player at this point. Um... Are you still there? Are you looking? Sounds like he dropped off. Um. So, anyway, while we're waiting for Lewis to come back, uh, are you still there? The most amazing thing just happened. What happened?
1: There was a knock on my door, and you have to get through two doors to get into my house.
0: Right. And there's this
1: very attractive black woman with glasses. Okay. And I'm like, yes. Are you the Liz Paul? I'm like, yeah. You want me autograph? And so <laughs> she, she she had a package for me, and I'm like, how'd you get in here? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Was it those missing Serena Grandy movies? <laughs>
1: no, no, no. It's a very, very thin, attractive, like a, a uh, <clears throat> dirty bookworm type. Yeah. Okay. I dig that. Yeah, but, but, <laughs> but 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 like like. Sort of like if I wasn't doing the show, like, would you like a martini?
0: Yeah, <laughs> but, exactly. <right. laughs> I was like, what? And you just came back from the show? or right, 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 whatever.
2: <laughs> it's like, what happened to him? <laughs>
0: yeah, it's like he dropped off. Huh? Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, no, I had no idea. I don't know how this woman got in the house, but it's very cool. Uh, not much to say, except I was in my underwear as well. So, you know, this is really hey, cool. You're um, all set.
0: Halfway there. <laughs> yeah, where, were, where were we? I got Charlie deflected by this. Uh, I can see. Uh, so we were talking about Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll and how there was basically yes, nobody's yes. whole dry.
1: Paul, Paul uh, some, again, I'm sorry, folks. There are just so many damn movies made in the world. Was it Paul Later? Uh, no, it wasn't Paul Later. His name was Paul Manti or something like that. Not the guy from Robinson Crusoe. Similar. And he was a very dry. Nobody sort of liked him in the part. I mean, after all these years and all the commentary and all the reviews, nobody really liked him. I presume he was a stage actor. Uh, I guess Cushnie yeah. and Lee weren't available. Although Lee is in the movie. Um, uh, yeah, but not for long. Not for long. But nobody really liked this poor guy in the movie. <laughs> it's a tough, it's a tough thing to to pull off. You know, the other Hyde thing. Oliver Reed in there as a toughie. right? But the next Hammer thing he shows up in, same year too, is he's donning tights. I'm sure he fit really
0: well in those.
1: <laughs> in 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 the Robin, Robin
0: Robin Hood type thing, yeah, sort of Sherwood Forest. Uh, I'm not even sure if I saw this one. I'm not like a huge fan well, do, of these yeah. I mean, it's not a historical, but you know, you get the idea. It's one of these more. Uh, I used to have uh, this poster uh, for for crying out loud on my on my on my wall when I
1: when I lived in an apartment in Brooklyn. It was a really cool poster.
0: So, and, uh, uh, anything, anything you want to take away from that film? Anything you want to mention on air? It was a really cool poster. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, no, <laughs> no, it, it was it was you know, it, it was either Richard Green or or uh, some some guy who was already, or Don Taylor maybe somebody who was already older than they should have been to play this part, and um, possibly uh, Peter Cushing doing his really when his really cool like G phase you know he had this couple of years where he, like he pulled off buildings things really cool, uh, really well, and. Um, he might have been the who's who's Rob Hood's sheriff from Nottingham. Yes, please. Yes. And uh, it, it's fun. It's a programmer. I mean, you watch it, you're entertained, you forget about it. But Oliver, who's support a the play. Oh, he was this naughty, freaking uh, member of Nottingham's gang. Oh, okay. So you know, he's yeah, really. Yeah, the he big was actually a sheriff himself. <laughs> oh no, no, not at this point. Not at this point. Um, and then, of course, you know he does a couple of more programmers leading up to the next year. He gets a lead part,
0: his first. Right. So his first read, uh, <laughs> lead part, not lead part, that's kind of a <laughs> brilliant slip almost, uh, was Curse of the Werewolf, which is actually one of the films I associate with him most when I think of Oliver Reed. It's like in the top ten. Uh, not being his best films, but films that I think of immediately when uh, he comes to mind. Uh, I think it was actually his first lead credit if not you know his first credit where you notice him in the cast at all cuz you know in those days if you had a minor part a lot of times they didn't even bother putting you on the cast list uh i don't know why they were so stingy like that but it happened uh so maybe this was actually even the first time they named him i don't know but it's definitely his first lead uh it's definitely the film that broke him uh and you know he Delivers a typically intense, over-the-top sort of performance as the cursed son of uh, this this kind-hearted mute girl uh, and this nutcase who uh, you know he's jailed unjustly. So in the beginning, you're like, oh, this kind of sucks. This guy's getting uh, basically abused by you know the, the powers that be, these rich assholes. But then you, because know, he's well, locked away in the cell for so long. like
1: Hellfire Club guys, remember? That was like very yes.
0: much. Yes. Yep. Rich elite shits, you know, like the Coke brothers or something, but with, you know, give him totally free reign. And they throw him in jail just for no reason, basically, just because they offended him. You know, you, you, your look offends me, that kind of thing. And yeah. he's there for years and turns into a crazy old man. And then this nice, Charles. you know, this girl, oh, she's a muted beautiful- girl well, yeah, she tries to help him out. She's nice to him or whatever. And you think, OK, this is going in this direction. And all of a sudden, it's like, ah, why don't we throw her in with you? And she, they throw her, lock her in the cell with this guy. And because he's, you know, got over the edge, he winds up fucking raping her. I'm like, oh, my God, what a change in tone. You're, you're totally not expecting it. And it's like very uncomfortable and very – it's actually one of the reasons I don't like this film. Uh, not that it isn't a good film and not that it isn't a decent hammer film. It's just like, oh, my God, what the hell? You're expecting one direction, and all of a sudden they jerk the wheel and shoot you off on the left tangent somewhere. Uh, and, of course, this is why he is born and born cursed as the werewolf uh, because you know he's the son of this illegitimate bastard child of this madman and this poor girl. Um which again, you know, points to a lot of things, but basically it's a statement like I mentioned earlier about uh how birth kind of defines you in life in small towns and things like that. uh more closed societies and how difficult it can be to get away from not even things you did, you know, the sins of the fathers as it were. Uh but you know, it's still a good film, uh, if you can deal with that kind of grimness, uh which, you know, to some extent Hammer films are known for certainly British films are known for it. Um it's definitely something you should see in your life. Will it be on your top ten list of even Hammer films? Hell no. But is it something that is worth seeing? Is it a performance that was worthy of breaking and making and breaking Oliver Reed? Yeah, he's pretty intense yeah. um, for good and for bad. You know, As the good guy and as the bad guy, as the, the troubled, flawed, anti hero character character uh, who is a first. Him. Yeah. Uh, he is—he really definitely is worthy of making a name from this one. Again, it's a horror film. It's a programmer, but there's more going on there than that. And you can see why at first he sticks with Hammer films for a while, but why he evolves into more. So, is there anything you want to toss in on this one?
1: Yeah, actually, I'd like to say that after all these years, uh, it's still one of the Hammer movies where, where tonality-wise, you know, the tone of the film—it's all over the place. Yes. I, I, they never were. It's something I'm never quite sure why they didn't fix it in editing, or maybe mm-hmm. um, it's Terrence Fisher, correct? Yes.
2: Yeah. Yes, it was. Which is, it's
1: one. Yeah, it's one of the wildest Terrence Fisher films you ever see. I mean, he gets accolades for some of his Frankenstein, Dracula films, well, think
0: so. I will say this: didn't he also do Frankenstein: and The Monster from Hell? Or Was that Roy Ward Baker? I think All it was right, Fisher. That was him. It was him. Yeah, that see? Fisher. So that's what I mean. That's another one that has the same sort of, what the fuck is this? Because you know, normally Fisher is a very reliable, at least workman-like, if not you know, enjoyable, tourist mm. director. Um, when you get to films like these two that we just mentioned – like you mentioned, the tone just is all over the place, and it's very—you think they're going in some place, you think they're getting compassionate, you think they're going to develop not necessarily a romance, but you know some sort of sweet st- uh, story underneath it—and all the empathy and everything gets taken away in this kind of right turn that goes straight into Pete Walker territory and beyond. I'm like, whoa, what the hell? And that's why these films are very difficult for a lot of people. It's not just us. You'll see people reviewing these things talking about to- it. Enough- Another
1: thing I want to say, we we touched upon this is your phrase in the uh, Hammer films uh, show, uh, you know, with the you know talk of women with the heaving bosoms and how Hammer was pretty <laughs> much instrumental. We would not have a lot of sexuality in the movies today if it wasn't for Hammer. You have to sure. give accolades for that. It is true. It's very true. Definitely true. <laughs> now, with that being said the french actress yvonne romain wow yeah uh, she, she she played another reason to watch play, this film <laughs> yeah there is another reason to watch this movie she played the 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 mute woman um, what an incredible body uh, yep. it's a shame that they, she disappears uh, pretty much early into the movie um yeah. and and the woman that that Reed falls in love with. I, I do forget her name. Uh, yeah, minor remember. actress. Um, she was also. Yeah, uh, you know, we're not liking these girls because they're well endowed, but the, between the costuming, their own shapely figure, and yep. the fact that they weren't horrible actresses, they were trying to do what, what they could do with the part they were
0: given. Yeah, I mean, they, they, you're they not talking about. slasher movie bimbos. You know, this is well before. Yeah things degenerate to that level, so these girls still had to have, even when they say, okay, they couldn't act, they have a measure of acting skill, a measure of thespianism, they try to get some professionalism across, and then you get a pretty face and some body, and there you go, all sold. (laughs) Yeah, 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 no, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on in this.
1: Um, So, yeah, it was like the movie that made him, unfortunately, his next
0: couple of pictures were more Uh, uh, custom. He went Dramas. Yeah, he went yeah. back to the thing he was doing, sort of Sherwood Forest, basically. And, you know, okay, 2 Faces of Dr. Jekyll and Curse of the Werewolf were also period pieces. So he was working in this costume genre, per se. Uh, and again, they're all Hammer films anyway. But Pirates of Blood River, not a very big part there. It's a boring film. Uh, and Captain Clegg, which is the same idea... Uh, It's a slightly bigger part. Both of them, he winds up being one of the sailors or pirates, depending on how you're looking at this. Uh, I like Captain Clegg a little bit more because it's a little bit more pretending to be supernatural in the sense of like, you know, Nancy Drew or Scooby-Doo. Like, oh, look, here's the Masked Skeleton Gang or whatever. But, you know, basically they're kind of programmers and they're period pieces and they're more… Like a, I hate to say something like Ivanhoe because that's more implying something that they're not. They're not that good. They're kind of boring. They're not t- here, tales of uh, heroic daring do for the, the boys' own crowd. This is more of uh, a period piece with a bit of adventure thrown in, but they're very dry. They're typically British of this period. Um, they don't work that well as films. Are they watchable? Yeah, if you're a hammer aficionado, you might want to see them, uh, but they're kind of lesser – I know that they had come over here in sets, like they would put like six films in a set, and there's a reason for that. Nobody would have bought these two, even as a double feature.
2: Uh, so they just
0: threw them in. It's like, okay, here, we'll put six films out, two that people want, and then we'll throw these four ships in, and these are two of the four ships. No. <laughs> so is there anything you want to say about it before we move on to a much better film than this? Uh, I can't, can't
1: think, like, for some reason. I remember it was, uh, oh, I don't know, uh Oh, they remade that <sighs> not too long after with Patrick McGoohan. I remember that very distinctly. Uh, what was it Scarecrow Romney Marsh? Was that the damn oh. that thing? I think so. Okay. I didn't and, know that was really uh, Captain Clegg. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, it was. And um, it's, a, it's a very, you know, it's, it's a part of, like, British history kind of thing, wars and, you know, Robin Hood, like, maybe a century later, you know, that kind of thing, and uh, twisty, but, you know, it's got the Jamaican
0: vibe, but it's not as exciting as Jamaican, there's not as much plot. Yes, it's it does, it has
1: each. that, and it also has one of Peter Cushing's odder
0: roles. Yes. You know,
1: Cushing, <laughs> Cushing the, the, the gentleman of horror, when he wasn't playing a real prick-evil villain, Or a confused uh, hero, like Van Helsing, uh, he was playing these nasty fuckers. And this kind of thing was in between all those little lines. It was, like, in between all those little beats, you know, because, you you know, he was like a latter-day Robin Hood. It was still a period piece, but latter-day Robin Hood, but he still had, like, prick sensibilities. Very, very... Yeah, he's a great actor. So you know, sometimes Peter Cushing, when he's not likable, is really hard to take. He's he's sort of like yeah.
0: Most of the time, he comes off as the sweet man he apparently was from all accounts. Uh, You Mm -hmm. get things like even one of his last roles i think it was like tales from the crypt or something where he was like that old man he's looking at pictures of his actual dead wife that was himself uh, probably yeah. yeah yeah and that's kind of you get that like sense of pathos and like oh my god it's a surface little old man uh you get things like his van helsing roles which are anti-heroic you know especially evil of frankenstein which i love um, you know, he could be a hero, but a lot of times he was just playing at least this absolute prick, which is really kind of hard to watch and harder to watch than Christopher Lee, who was himself kind of a prick and usually played a prick. Uh, yeah. When, yeah. when well such, think yeah. he was nasty, I mean, like really nasty. Uh, whereas Christopher Lee was just kind of always a bastard, but there was a level of distance there. Like, okay, whatever. He's just being pompous and imperious. Uh,
2: not-
0: I've
1: said this before. This is another reason why we should do an audio commentary. <laughs> Hi, <laughs> Rose. No, because no, that's, you nailed that. You nailed that perfectly, which is very interesting. And, and if it was another show, we can go on about this for two hours because that's true. That is so true. Yeah, Christopher Lee, who comes across this way and probably was to a lot of people that way, is still easier to take than Peter Cushing. Well, who kind of, well when he played a prick, was
0: like nearly unwatchable. it's was like, oh, shit, yeah. y'all. I don't know what you know, he was tapping into there. If he knew somebody like this, if this was his impression of somebody, or well, maybe, maybe it was his impression of Christopher Lee. Lee. I don't know, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> But it's horrible. It's like, oh, I can't watch this. You know, it's, it's that painful. So yeah, yeah. Um. So next up, he did another period piece, which I haven't seen, in Scarlet Blade*. But then he does I a film it. that, yeah. again, one of his. Well, do you want to say anything about it before we move on?
1: No, it's, a, it's another programmer of the type we were just discussing.
0: So uh, the next one is another one of the ones that I kind of think of when I think of Oliver uh, Reed. Maybe not in the top ten, but definitely one that I enjoy. It's certainly one of my favorites of his, uh, which is Paranoic. Uh, it's one of the better Hammer Hitchcocks. Uh, it's got Reed basically – when he played – uh, rich and spoiled, he tends to come across rather fey. I don't know that he had any, you know, uh, gay leanings whatsoever in his persona in real life, <laughs> but he could play that very well. He put it across as if he was extremely, you know, androgynous at least, if not overly fey, and that's kind of how he comes off here. He's uh, a drunken, fey, organ-playing son of this. Uh, basically the family, the, the parents had recently died in like a plane crash or some crap, and he's there basically the red herring, or maybe he's the baddie, I won't give that away, but uh, trying to Get rid of his competition maybe uh, to, to make sure he gets the whole inheritance. He's kind of like the spoiled brat son that won't leave the house more or less. Um, but I really did like this one. There's a lot of twists and turns in it. The atmosphere is fantastic. It's one of the best if not the best of these because for a while Hammer did a couple of these Hitchcock knockoffs, you know, psycho type things, uh, a little bit of William Castle I guess but with the, the ballyhoo. Uh, and this is definitely the best of him. This is the one I think of all the time. And he's a major part of that. Uh, he's a very strong role for what he's playing here. Uh, so anything you want to say about this one before we?
1: Yeah, no, it's very good. I agree. Uh, he's very good.
0: And it's funny.
1: Uh, between 62 and I have to say early 64, they were, yeah, you're right. There was a period where Hammer was showing out this black and white, not color, Yes. Uh William Castle, Hitchcock type things, but they were very well written. They mm-hmm. were very, for the most part, very well uh, directed. Uh, unusual casting. I mm-hmm. mean, some of the casting is so unusual. You're like, WTF. You know, you're totally, yeah. what the fuck? I mean, one of these pictures has uh, uh, an American. Uh, B-movie actor. He was a familiar face on TV, Robert Weber. It gave him a whole career revitalization appearing in one of these pictures. Uh, Stephanie Powers, of yes. old people,
0: when she was young, was in one of these. Uh, and there, how about... Strasburg, Susan Strasberg, the guy who invented the method Susan acting. Strasburg. I hate method acting, but you know Susan Strasberg was a very pretty girl. But you know she's in stuff like Psycho. What the hell is she doing in one of these films? And unless she's there in, I think, taste of Fear. I mean, like you Man, mentioned, she's, she's very good in that. She's very good in that too. Yeah, I yeah she actually made the case she She actually makes the case for method acting, but nobody else can pull it off, I guess uh, but yeah, yeah I mean, she actually yeah. is very good and very pretty, so uh, I did enjoy seeing her there. but it's like, "What the hell are you doing here? Why are you in this movie so yeah uh and
1: but, it makes the case. Yeah. What is
0: Oliver Reed doing in this thing? You know very right. strange um and then he works for Joseph Luzzi of all
1: people. Next.
0: Doing the damned, which is another I think it also came under the hammer umbrella. Uh Reed is basically now back to being a teddy boy, you know, biker gang thug type. But the film is more like he's there with a bunch of you know, the midwitch cuckoos, you know, like the um uh what do you call them? Children of the damned, you know, that sort of a thing. It's like a sci fi film. Uh sort of Leaning utopian, dystopian. You know, how do you want to categorize this film? But you know, basically these radioactively exposed or mutated or next stage of evolution uh, children and are, are kind of coming up and they have them on this island and they're protecting them. What the hell, how they got there from this early beginning where basically you've got these uh, biker gangs and teddy boys going and roughing people up and dance halls and whatever. It's kind of like almost two different films. Uh, but I find that the second part where they get on the island and they're dealing with these kids and all this is too dry and dull. It gets a little too – that stodgy type of early 60s or mid-60s sci-fi before they started getting more – like in the the realm of the Omega Man or silent running or the more uh, politicized, the more – I use the term wet, but it's supposed to dry, but um, the more interesting sci-fi that came about in the later 60s and the early 70s, before you got there, you had this stodgy sort of like uh, – man, this stuff just kind of blows. People love it for some reason, um, one of those kind of films. And yet in the beginning, you've got this whole thing going on where it's basically like almost a J.D. film, a little bit rougher than that even uh, with Oliver Reed, and that's the part I always liked. So it's a it's a schizophrenic film in that respect. Um, what did you want to say about this one? Well, you know, Village of the Damned,
1: which is uh, about three years previous to this, was a really, really good movie and a big hit. And I think they wanted to capitalize on that and they probably figured, well, who can we give this movie to? Well, let's give it to one of the up and coming avant garde filmmakers. Um, and maybe he'll have a a, uh, a touch uh, touch upon the original film and maybe add something new. And he said it was a very strange movie. You know, and one of the problems when we talked about the Hammer movies and that show we did about a year ago. Um, we also made mention of you know because Hammer wanted to get their movies distributed in the U.S. and Canada, so they yes. were important actors. Over we talked about Brian Nevy Quatermass, and McDonald Carey was brought over for this thing. And you know who, yeah. was, who the fuck is McDonald? He was like a really he's a soap actor. Well, yeah, later, but but at that time, I think he, I think he was like very minor actor, and he's a weak link in this movie. Yeah. Um. And he Reed shows up good. more
0: in the latter half of the film, which is part of what makes it go bad. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, well, it's a,
1: again, we're just discussing tone of films. To, you know, this thing is all over the place. Mm-hmm. But that's that could be said of
0: most Joseph Luzzi films. <laughs> oh, God, let's not get into Modesty Blaze. Uh But anyway. Yeah, I was uh,
2: thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: which could be a great film. It could be a great film in terms of like a diabolic sort of a thing. But whew. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. so next he does – well, not immediately next, but within his next batch of uh, programmers, he does his first film for Ken Russell, but it's actually for TV. I have not seen it. Uh, it was a film about ABC. Uh Ken Russell was doing a few films for uh, British television. Uh, where he was basically getting paid to do things about the lives of composers. And uh, of course, Claude Debussy, who was actually um, one of the better, if not the best, uh, after Ravel, because he was my favorite, uh, of the French composers. Um, you know, I have not seen the film, so I can't really comment on it, but he cast Reed in this. And this was the beginning of a. I don't want to say long and fruitful, but one of the more regular partnerships uh, throughout Reed's career. And certainly one of the more regular actors in the uh, Russell stable alongside people like Linda Jackson. Um, so have you seen this one? Do you say anything about this one? or you just
1: No, moving? no, I haven't. And, and I understand it's part of the BBC box set of early Ken Russell films, um, which I know... Probably Arrow, either in my network. Either Arrow or on BBC. BFI. BMI, BFI, BFI. Yes, BFI. I think it was on a BFI box set. And uh, Mondo Digital, I think, reviewed this a while back. And I did read about it. It was on my interested list. I did I think though for the cost.
0: Yeah. Um see there's films like this is something that I would love to see if I could see it. I don't want to say for free, but you know, for cheap, like really like kinda of low end. Okay. It doesn't excite me enough to go and say, you know what, I'm gonna lay down whatever it is, twenty bucks, thirty bucks or something for a box or for a box set it could be more fifty bucks. Uh, just to see some early Ken Russell film. I've seen most of the Ken Russell films that I really wanted to see, and I have most of them in my collection that I actually care about. You know, digging back into something like this is more of a curiosity thing. So I'm guessing from what you're saying, that's the same with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It's funny that you mention that. I saw on, on uh, Facebook today uh, Richard Holland Smith was involved with, the, was it the movie channel? Or no, Turner Maybe. Classics, whatever. And uh, he was posting about uh, a new Blu-ray from England of the 7-Ups, a movie I really like. It's a fun movie, the French Connection related. And uh, I I just posted on, you know, because he he shot a back of the Blu-ray with all the extras. And I said, oh, it's a shame. You guys don't have any any stuff with Richard uh, Lynch. He said, oh, yeah, well, we mentioned Lynch and we also mentioned you. I'm like, great, (laughs) you know, I have to buy it. How much shit is out there where, like, I'm actually mentioned, you know? Who the hell knows? Who the hell knows? I remember uh, uh, the Cannibal Holocaust. Yes. Grindhouse. Mm -hmm. So back in 2000, I was not working for the company I usually work for. I was working for a different company uh, for just two shows. And that was the first time all the, the Cannibal Holocaust people were here. They shot stuff and they shot uh, a lot of things. And somebody told me that it ended up uh, a uh, an hour and a half Q&A or panel I did ended up on the Blu-ray. So some guy, I don't want to say who, because we did not end well. Um, he posted, oh, the Blu-ray's out with this, this, and that. Said, oh, well, that's me. Um that's cool. Uh, nice that you let me know. Oh, would you like <laughs> a copy? Sure, here's my address. Of course, you know, offline, you know, personal message. Never got it. Uh, so like, you know, I'm not the kind of prick kind of guy who was like, Hey, I didn't get it. So I waited like eight months. I was like again posting like, Oh, we sold like twenty thousand copies. I said, You know I never got it. Is this your address? I said, Yeah. While we sent it to you, I'm like, okay, fine, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, me, I would have been on top of that. I mean, not like a prick, but it's like, hey, wait a minute, you know, you, you said you were going to send this, I haven't seen it yet. You, what's going on? What's the status here? And I'll just stay on top of please. I'm in a fucking the <laughs> is,
1: I'm in the fucking Blu-ray, you should give it to me anyway. Exactly. I chip to and
0: find out. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's one thing that they aren't going to pay you, but it's another thing that I'm they the can at least give you the fucking
1: two-hour extras. It's not like uh-huh. a fleeting is passing by.
0: <laughs> it's too bad yeah. because I have the DVD, so I, I don't even see you on there. So um, it's it's apparently on the in a, the, the loaded
1: Blu-ray. Yeah, I'm grindhouse. But anyway. Uh,
2: but anyway, so
1: the of the, this, 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 anyway, the Debussy thing, you know, it's it's a BFI box set, I believe, that's out there. Um, I think it has a lot of really cool stuff. Um, I don't. I'm a little hesitant to recommend it because it is a bit pricey. But uh,
2: yeah,
1: I think if you go to Amazon UK, you you all you Oliver Reef fans, you'll find it. Leading us to the Brigand of Kandahar. Sounds like an Evil Dead movie. It's, I have uh, not seen this one. So go ahead. I did. I used to have a copy of it from a trader. Uh, it's a it's a very it's a long scarlet blade. You know, more big blades. More. It's not really Robin Hood though. It's more like a pirate type of thing.
2: Okay. Um,
1: along the lines of kind of those Italian. Oh, like Can? Movies. Yes. Yes. Very much along okay. those lines. And you know, Oliver's one of the bovine kind of. He's like thick in that one. I mean, he's kind of like wielding this big scimitar kind of sword. and Right. At this point, he's looking a little miscast in these things. Uh,
0: yeah, well, he kind of stops doing them at this point. This is around the age, the age he starts getting out of Hammer Films and starts getting out of costume epics per se. Uh, so mm. he does one that... Actually surprised me. It wasn't Hammer, but it's very similar in, in tone. The Shuttered Room. Uh, a lot of people it comes up with Lovecraft film. I'm a huge Lovecraft fan, and of course there is a small body of Lovecraftian film until very recently fan people started making things up and saying uh, almost on like the fan circuit, if you will. Like oh look, we've got a lot of Lovecraft films. Really actual released proper films. There aren't that many. Uh, so this is one of the few. And it's he's cast in there with fellow drunkard Gig Young, who they probably have a drinking competition there. Uh, and the gorgeous, absolutely stunning, I gotta say, Carol Linley. Uh, oh, it's a, oh, she was fucking gorgeous in this thing. Uh, Lovecraftian small town sort of a thing. There's secrets, you know, people in the attic, all kinds of shit going down. Uh, but like a lot of Lovecraftian film, particularly of its era. It doesn't go far enough, I mean it's kind of hard to put Lovecraft to film, a lot of it is suggestion, a lot of it is um hinting at things you know more occult things if you will. Uh, so therefore, it's very difficult to get across properly. I don't care that you got CG; that's not the right tack uh, to take. It's more about suggestion. It's more about hints. It's more about shadows and mood. It's it's more black metal, if you want to put it that way. You know, you don't want somebody that can play really fucking well and is going to show it all over the place, and you have great production. That that's not black metal. Uh, it's the same thing here with Lovecraft. It's very difficult to get across in film. Uh, but for what it is, it's not bad. Uh, and of course, Reed plays to type as he usually did, as the local tough and troublemaker, kind of harassing the two of them. Uh, I don't know why the hell Carol Lindley was hanging around with Gig Young. He must have had like 25, 30 years on her. He, he was like basically an old drunk and she was this young, like gorgeous blonde. Uh, but nonetheless, it's an interesting film. I definitely do recommend it for people who like films like, yeah, say, The Dome Much Horror, for example. Um, Another Lovecraftian film that didn't quite work, but better. Or... Even the Corman one that really doesn't work, uh, the Haunted Palace. Um, if you like those kind of films and you like a bit of Hammer, you're definitely going to like the Shuttered Room. Uh, and you know, Reed is a right bastard in the thing. So, uh, anything you want to say about this one?
1: No, I I I never warned to this movie, and I'm not quite sure why. Um... It's funny. Uh, what was the other Corman one with Dean Stockwell? Don't much horror, yeah. Don't much horror, yeah. I, I, I well, well, that wasn't better. a better fan of that one
0: either. And, and I don't know. No. It's,
1: it wasn't well, so was like
0: Stuart. And so is Sandra yeah. d That has more problems than the Saturday room in some respects. But it feels yeah. more of yeah. a crap. No. I, I agree with you, but I think it wasn't too like Stuart Gordon-Star. Oh yeah, the Stuart Gordon stuff is great, especially like Dagon and Reanimator. Yeah. Oh Dagon's like that's the one. Shadow over <laughs> Internsworth. It is Shadow of Reinsworth. You can't get away from that. It's yeah. so close to the, the, the source material in a lot of ways. They take liberties. There are things that are wrong with it. Uh the ending is definitely wrong. Uh but it's very, very close, so uh, Dark Waters, actually, Mario Bayino who's a nice guy, uh, he also came very close to it. But again, it's hard with Lovecraft. You've got to suggest. You've got to kind of point towards things without really showing them and yet show enough that you know what's going down. So,
1: oh, yeah, uh, Baino's
0: but... a very nice guy, and Dark Waters is right. You know,
1: I, I did Baino a huge favor. I wrote him a letter to get him into this country as a citizen. Oh, really? <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> I was the secrets of Louis Paul.
0: <laughs> well, if you remember at that convention there, uh, it, Carolina Capaldi-Cassoni was up there, and that's basically his uh, girlfriend, Libyan, whatever you want to call a lover. Uh, yeah. And he was there just kind of hiding in the background while she was on stage doing her thing. And I had asked some sort of question at the panel, and I made point of bringing up, oh, by the way, did you notice that this guy is over here? This is the guy that did Dark Waters, which is a fantastic freaking film, by the way. Uh, and you know, they were very appreciative of that. Which yeah, I didn't do it for that. It's just because why is this guy sitting over in the corner? He's, you know, I love Ciarán and so on, don't get me wrong, but he, in a lot of ways, that film puts him at the same level or better than her. And yet, he's being the kind of guy he is. He's very self-effacing. He was just kind of like fighting oh, off yeah, from the crowd. yeah, yeah, so, I and I don't know why
1: after all these years he's not been able to.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, I guess it's kind of like the Mikael slobby thing. How many films has he done since uh, Cemetery Man? Uh, I mean, oh, he's done a few things for television, but nonetheless. Um, but anyway, that, that's just a, a side point. Uh, so after this, he did a film which I've heard of all the time, but I never bothered to watch. It didn't seem up my alley at all. Uh, I'll never forget what's his name. I don't know if you want to cover that one at all.
1: Um, oh yeah, yeah, I saw that. It's 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 a bit of a thriller. Um, it's it's a mean spirited film. Um, my recollection of it is uh, sort of this. Late sixties. It's like a nihilistic kind of viewpoint of the world, mm-hmm. and you know, misogynism and and dealing with turning of time. Very interesting movie, but not one that's very likable. Yeah, which point I was surprised to see him in Oliver of all freaking things.
0: Yes, because that's it. I was gonna say Oliver's next. And this was, for those who don't know, a really tacky musical based on Charles Dickens. Is all the twist. Uh, actually, here's a personal anecdote. My mother had a long run as Widow Corny back in the seventies, uh, doing a stage production of this uh, yeah, somewhere in the local area. Uh, And we actually had a cat. Someone had to give up a cat outside of one of the performances afterwards. Uh, And we wound up adopting it, who we named Mr. Bumble. Uh, Really sweet cat. He's actually my first one. Uh, All I remember about this damn thing, besides her singing up there and Mr. Bumble being some big fat guy with a beard, was, Please, sir, more gruel. I I always say that when it comes down to, like, you know, dealing with corporations or dealing with the government here. It's like, uh, that's what we're like. We're like these poor fucking serfs online saying, Please, sir, more gruel. And them getting pissed off. Smacking the you dish out of your hands. Yeah, <laughs> smacking the dish out of your hands saying, fuck you, you're not going to get it. Like, really? Really? If you're elected officials, fuck you. Uh, but uh, Reed basically is Fagan's strong arm, uh, Bill Sykes, who is a real bastard. I mean, he's probably the nastiest character in the, uh, well, he, in the musical. He kills,
1: he kills Shani Wallace, you remember that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. For, for a uh, kids movie that was at the Radio City Music Hall, When it first came out, you know, I had a big, big push, big, opulent. It was Carol Reed, I believe, who directed it. Mm -hmm. Who did one of the. the uh, Yes, exactly. And um, it's just like, okay, music's fine. Uh, Mark Lester is is fine in the lead. And then you have, you know, is Wallace's kind of innocent trollop, you know, from. Angel of Bercy, and then Richard uh, Oliver Reed fucking kills her. I was like, yeah. what the hell?
0: And everybody thinks, when you think Oliver Twist or the, Oliver the musical, everybody's thinking, oh, yeah, Fagin's the baddie. No, no, no. Friggin' Bill Sykes, he's a bastard. So he is definitely like the oh my god character in the film uh for what it is. I mean it's a musical. They they're kinda tacky, that's how it is. Uh they're very campy and over the top and panto and uh you know, when you think of musicals do you think of people jumping up in the audience like, you know, Richard Simmons singing along to Bab Streisand, that kind of a thing. Uh they're very over the top and dig low and cheesy. But, nonetheless, it's got some really dark, not even undertones, but overtones. Yeah, Oliver does. Yeah, 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 Oliver does.
1: And Um, and then he does probably one of his first
0: super strange movies. (laughs) Yes, I was going to say, this one's fucking weird. I got this. Okay. It's a goofy-ass Albert Zugsmith, sort of like Monsters, Mr. Ed-style comedy, but it's meeting this British preciousness in a black comedy about a bunch of Illuminati-style assassins for hire who get taken down by a clever feminist who's opposed to their ethos. It's got people – and this is why I got it. It's got Alva Reed. It's got the Avengers, Diana Rigg. It's got Telly Savalas. It's got Doctor Who's master, Roger Delgado. It's got Are You Being Sirs, Frank Thornton in it. And Bardot film, you know, the, and, and God Created One. We talked about Bardot films a couple of shows back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kurt Juergens is in it, right? So it's like got this fantastic cast. Like, wow, these people are all like people I really like, and I will follow them from, you know, show to show, film to film. And yet, it's fucked up. I mean, my wife hated this thing. Like, why'd you get this? It's marred by this annoying, kind of, it's a very broad humor, you know, nudge-nudge, wink-wink style comedy, and I also wasn't expecting the period setting. It's very, kind of, 1800s in the wrong sense, you know, very costume epic. Um... Is it a bad film? I don't know about that, but it's just too broad and too cheesy, and I really think it wastes what could have been a really fantastic cast and, you know, maybe even an interesting film. Instead, it's just kind of, I don't know, forgettable. So, what did you think about this one?
1: Well, I think I think it was directed by Basil Dearden. I think so. Yes. And, uh, it Ooh, <laughs> and I think that it was definitely. What's the word? Well, certainly influenced by the Avengers. There's a lot of Avengers oh, yeah. cheeky, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and vice versa. Kind of, and the Bond movies, and mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And and uh, you know, Oliver he does pretty well. He's like this really rich guy, who's secretly involved in this capitalistic group of Illuminati type people, and. And then he winds up working against them with Diana Rake, who was hired because she right. was probably in the Avengers. Right. And I think Tally and her, at the same time, probably just coming off working on Under Majesty's Secret Service, if they didn't follow this. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Yeah, this is one of those movies, like, what? Um, yeah. You want to believe it. You wish I got it, it for the better, cast
0: and couldn't believe what it was. Yeah. You're right. I wish it was better than it was. But go ahead. Yeah, you wish it was
1: better. You want to like it more. Maybe. Uh... Yeah, I just don't know what happened with this. And it was a perennial late night TV for a while before it disappeared for decades, and only recently. Yeah. The last five years. like MOD
0: now, I think. Yeah. 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 uh. So not his very next film, but right after this, he gets involved again with Ken Russell. Uh, He – basically, Ken Russell decided to take on D.H. Lawrence, which may have been a mistake. Uh, The film is a bit (laughs) dry. It's more famous, honestly, for its – you think, okay, D.H. Lawrence has got to be an erotic sort of maybe period piece. But nonetheless, it's going to be kind of sexy, a little softcore. Well… Not really, because the film is more famous for its sort of surface-level gay romance between Reed and Alan Bates. I mean, that nude wrestling scene is kind of beyond belief. Uh, And Russell – actually, number one, uh, Oliver Reed supposedly – and this is an anecdote again – he supposedly pushed for this. Uh, Russell was kind of leery about putting that scene in. And he actually wrestled Russell to the ground until he agreed to do it. Again, is this true? Who the hell knows? It sounds good. But nonetheless, um, Russell makes sure to include his other favorite regular, like I mentioned before, Glenda Jackson. She was in a lot of his stuff. Uh, it's kind of prissy and mannered, to be honest with you. As a love story, if you want to call it like a couple's romance or even a ambisexual romance, it's kind of questionable. But... If you're looking for lavender cinema, if you want to see two guys wrestling against a, a fire with their dicks hanging out, uh, yeah, this is it. It's a film for you, woohoo! Uh, but you know, for my sensibilities, like, what the fuck am I seeing here? You didn't like that? Oh yeah, I, I, I was hot. It, it turned me on. But you know, I, I imagine some people would. I don't know, but for me, it was just like, what the fuck am I watching? All right, whatever. You know, it's kind of Russell. Uh, I expect more from him. He does push into extremely homoerotic territory often, uh, and erotic territory per se often, but it wasn't quite the level of the stuff he started doing later, which I find more interesting. Uh, so go ahead, what do you want to say about this one?
1: Well, what, no, it's 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 weird. It's it's an early Kevin Russell movie that he managed. Yo, know, I, I give him kudos for managing to do what he did with this. Film. Oh, yeah,
0: 69. Um, this was groundbreaking. Yeah, groundbreaking. Yeah, certainly. Uh, it was before Stonewall, I think, or maybe right after. So, You know, and...
2: and
1: uh,
0: how do you describe Ken Russell movies? I mean, they're, they're a
1: <laughs> oh, piece of stuff
0: Promise me at some yeah. point, if we next season, we have to do a show on Ken Russell. I know I had floated as an idea to you, and you didn't want to do it, but we have to do it one day.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but the thing that came up with cameras was like so difficult, so difficult to describe when you when you when you're talking about one picture upon another, the next one's a complete mess. Um, yes, the, he's uh, all over it, Yeah, it, it's like groundbreaking. Yeah, he uses cinema verite.
2: Mm.
1: He's really into poetry. He's he's such a cineast. He's such a.
0: Well, such he's a, a great, great well first guy good director but some really crazy shit he puts out
1: <laughs> yeah 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 Cause you,
0: when you, I think the problem with Ken Russell is
1: when you watch a Ken Russell film, Ken Russell's expecting you to be in his head as yes. he was seeing it through the lens and through the video uh, editing movieola, and so as he put the movie together, Ken Russell thinks the audience is him looking through his head through his eyes onto the screen. And you
0: don't know which Ken Russell you're getting between film to film. I mean, even successively. If you're going consecutively, you don't know which one you're getting. So, again, I hope someday we do a Ken Russell film because I'd really like to do that. I'm a big fan of his. Right.
1: Uh, for right. Yeah.
0: yeah, Women in Love
1: is very interesting film. Hmm. Uh, I I say it deserves all the attention it got and all the accolades. Uh, whether it's up, uh, I like. It. I the jury zone on that as we get older, we change our views. Certain yeah, things.
0: it's one of those things you might revisit, but I don't care for it. I find it very strange. Like, what the fuck am I watching? Like I said, but nonetheless, oh, like eighty percent of Ken right. Russell movies. Uh, yeah, well there you go. There's a lot of WTF with Ken Russell. Uh so he does a couple of more films and then once again he's with uh Kim Russell for The Devils. It's one of the if not the first non exploitation film, uh which I like a lot of those. Uh, It's never been – and we discussed a couple of them during our uh, Italian Sleeves show, I believe. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. never been released in its full-length original cut to this very fucking day. Uh, I know there is a – I think BFI put out a cut of it that was more lengthy than any of the other ones that had been out previously. Uh, I don't think the U.S. has still released it even now. It's still not on DVD or Blu-ray. Derek Jarman got his start here as set designer. Uh, And those are some really interesting sets, by the way. I I love Jarman just for Jubilee. Forget about anything else he did. Um, Reed and Vanessa Gregory have got a lot of extra notoriety for it. Not that they didn't get plenty on their own anyway, but this film was definitely part of that, a major part of that. Uh, It's long. It's not always as exciting as you might expect, but it is depraved. It's blasphemous. It's ambisexual. And – get all that to the excellent cinematography the excellent set design there's a lot to be said for it as a sort of um ultra dark art film i mean like solo i never liked That was just too dark and too depraved but if you took that or Fellini's satiricon another one i didn't like because it was too over the top and campy and gay um it's that those two films done right um you know, and if you're watching the film, look out for Lovejoy's Tink, who is also in Mary Millington's best film, The Playbirds, uh, and we had talked uh, you know, the British slap-and-tickle films earlier on, and British Edgar Wallace film, Recurring Thug, uh, and again, we talked about that during uh, the Edgar Wallace show, uh, Dudley Sutton, and uh, also Men About the House's Brian Murphy. You both have big parts in here. Uh, so it's an interesting cast. It's an interesting film, obviously, it's based on that old thing the Devils of Ludon, you know, oh wait, were these nuns really just sexually frustrated and hallucinating? Was there really something supernatural going on? You know, what was happening here is all about the church and the Inquisition so forth and so on. Uh, was it really a, a feminist statement and you know mas- you know misogynist oppression? And there's a lot of variables and a lot of ways you could take this film, but basically... It's a non-exploitation film. It's kinky. It's dark, and it's really gorgeous cinemat- uh, cinematographically. Um, flawed, yes. Uh, I certainly have um, non-exploitation films I enjoy a lot better. Uh, certainly have Ken Russell films I enjoy a hell of a lot better. But you know, it's something that you should see once in your life at least, and it is kind of uh, dark and depraved. So, how about you? Uh,
1: I remember seeing at the Cinema Village Theater, uh, 13th Street in the village, West Village, in the 70s, maybe 76, an X-rated cut. Really? It was rated X. That was the label. You know, that was your, your MPAA thing, said X, not R. Correct. And uh for a brief period of time I don't know how uncaught the X Rated one was, so yeah. and,
0: there's so many cuts so- out there I know they have put like yeah. a 72 minute cut out. I think that was Redemption. I think the one that I have from like BF5 is like more like 105, but supposedly the film ran like 130 or something. I mean, there's so many different cuts out there that we may never even see. There's footage, there's stills and, and photographs of footage that you know are not in any prints that we've seen. And the US just, oh MGM just sits on. It. They don't want to. Bur- they want to put it out. They buried it in the vault somewhere. So I don't know. Well.
1: Well, I saw the R-rated and I saw that one. And then I, I've seen it a few times. I, 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 it's a tough picture for me. Because I like nasty nun movies and nuns' reputation. Yeah, whether the nuns are repressed and horny or whether the nuns are possessed or they're possessed by the idea of being possessed. Which is something I brought up a couple of times in, in all our shows. Sometimes possession is not really the supernaturalness uh, effect as much as people are possessed by mentally it's a mental yeah. instability by the idea of being possessed.
0: You know? Yeah, like, like, me.
1: It's a,
0: Does anybody know yes, they really turn into a, a fucking werewolf? But no, they think they're a wolf. That's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible, for Christ's sake. They, they're not thinking there's a come fucking come wolf. <laughs> but they <laughs> yeah. can become one if they, if you believe.
1: Deepen up. Something will happen. And, you know, that's Definitely. a lot with this this whole genre that the Italians beat to the ground with a big fucking pipe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your movies I like got to nice. be so insane. Yeah, I like some of them. Some of them just got to be too much.
0: Now, yeah, the like problem with this... Yeah,
1: like Flavia.
0: Oh, there's a verse. But Piece of shit. But, the worst non-sploitation uh, ever, people. And not in a good sense. I have a lot of problems with this movie, because
1: I think Oliver Reed's performance is absolutely amazing. Oh, yeah. I think nice. Ray, yeah, yeah. This and is and she is, too. Yeah, yeah. Renata Regrave is absolutely amazing. Michael Gothard, or Gothard, however you pronounce his name, as as the Inquisitor. Absolutely incredible. Um, This is a really hard time. Um, because, it's not a slog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's he's this character is a very, you know, he's very he's very swinging London. He's very swinging sixties, but this takes place, you know, what is it, 60 hundreds You know, he's a dick swinging priest. You know, and <laughs> and he's handsome. No, come on, admit it, right? So he's handsome, yeah, and that's the, true. And the, nun, and the nuns are attracted to him, and then yep. it's all about jealousy. Yep. And and once and once the jealousy rears its ugly head, he that's when the Inquisition
0: gets, gets brought in, and yeah, it gets yeah. messy.
1: Gets There's a lot of politics. He and then it gets really, yep. really dark and grim.
0: And then, oh yeah, and then it turns into almost uh, what's the one with the barf bags, uh, the German film that Adrian Holmes did, Devil. Uh, Mark, of the, *Mark of the Devil*. It's not quite there, but it's going into that territory. I'm like, whoa, wait going a minute. into that territory,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 for its time, time period, what are we talking about? 1969,
0: Oh, 71 71, 71,
1: 71. Sorry, 71. Yeah, I mean the amount of naked flesh in a major bush picture, the amount of oh yeah, um, bush. And, and, yep. and, and, and blasphemy and, 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 and all kinds of things. Leaving pussy shots. And I mean, just like... But then the torture begins. And it's just like,
0: oh my god. Yeah, and now, they leave just, the torture scenes in. In the cuts that you get nowadays. And yet the scenes of like, you know, the nun fucking stuff with a cross or something are gone. Like, wait a minute, hold on now. Well, you know, You're right, more concerned back. about offending Catholics and you are about <laughs> you know rape and you know it, really I mean it, it, they push the wrong things it's typical Puritan American bullshit where it's like the Uh-oh. violence is okay but don't ever you know use sex or don't ever offend you know Bible thumpers or get the fuck out of here you are so ass backwards
1: don't you, you want to know what the heck? was on going to his mind? What was on his mind when he made this movie? Oh, he was yeah.
0: crazy. Ken Russell is an interesting yeah. character, that's for sure. Was, yeah, a like, <laughs> piece of work.
1: What was going on in your mind to do this? I was like, okay, that aside, how did you talk these people into doing this?
0: <laughs> I mean,
1: <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, I mean, these are all adults. These are all by now; they're all seasoned, seasoned actors. Vanessa's done a lot of stage work. A lot of stage work. Yeah, you know, Reed has already
0: done uh, quite a few films. You know,
1: Sutton was and,
0: in all the films like we mentioned, and later on the and things like that. So these people were oh, yeah, established. Yeah. A, lot these yeah. people, and a lot of these people in this movie did a
1: heavy-duty stage work, but not just talking walk-ons. A lot of stage work. So we're talking about thespians. How did Ken Russell talk them into doing this? This is like <laughs> so crazy. Tongues are wagging. Um, you remember that scene? It's just like so bizarre, and you know, it's like
0: I don't know what to make of this movie. And it, we it comes we into won. paroxic territory. Those of you who remember things Luke. like, uh, what was his nunsploitation? The famous one? Beyond Comet Doors, Behind Comet Doors. I mean, that kind of, or Behind Comet Walls, it might be, uh, that kind of exploitation with bodies on bodies and beautiful cinematography and whatever else. And yet, here it is in 1971 in a quote mainstream film that at least MGM had some funding or say in. Like, really? This is coming from n g m you know uh, what's his name there sheldon Meyer i mean really <laughs> so it's surprising and it's not surprising that it's suffered the indignities and the cuts and things that it has over the years it's just uh the film itself can be hard to watch like you have mentioned so oh
1: well, yeah certainly certainly
0: and then and then uh he
1: did an, an, a dark western.
0: Yeah, I did not see the hunting party. I'm assuming that's the one you're talking about, and sitting target. So, uh, go ahead throw what you want to throw about those uh, two?
1: Well, well, uh, the hunting party is this kind of very dark western. Uh, this is like Oliver Reed's Dark period. I don't know. Maybe I let it to drink yes. more. I don't know. Uh, very really strange, kind of, uh,
0: I'm trying try to do it in a particular way. It's. Uh, Is it like the shootist well, or the shooting? The one with Jack Nicholson, that strange existential. No, no no, no,
1: no, nothing like that. Like
0: Candice Bergen, when she was. I don't know.
1: Or according to some people, attractive. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <I guess so. laughs>
0: She was like the, the wife to me. What was her name? Charlie McCormick.
1: And Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman was a cattle rancher. And uh and, and Oliver Reed played this, this outlaw. And you know, they kidnap her, you know, they fuck her, you know, they're holding her for ransom. But it turns very, very dark because Gene Hackman is also a dealer in, in high powered rifles and guns. And okay. he's kind of a trusted fuck. And so it's like well, she falls in love with Oliver Reed. And, and 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 there's it's sort of like once upon a time in the West. Okay. We're we're uh Claudia Carnegie Henry Fonda thinking that that will keep him at bay. Right. She really is attracted to Jason Robards And right. of all people. <laughs> and yet in this movie um she she really... Nobody likes Gene Hackman. <laughs> this is like Gene... Gene Hackman's prime, like, evil fuck ter- uh, period. You know, prime yeah. cut, a bunch of these kind of movies he did. And... um, She falls in love with Reed, but then, you know, Gene Hackman comes out with his, like, bad boys and, like, trying to hunt them down. Why? Because he has to. And it's a very weird movie. It was made by, like, a TV director. So, like, what is this guy doing working in this kind of milieu? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a, it's a not a likable movie. For sure. Yeah. And, uh, now, Sitting Target is one I actually talked up in one of one of our, our shows. Um, I forgot which one it was. It has Ian McShane. Okay, yeah, hey. who I love, and, uh, love you again. Who
0: you love? Well, she's attractive, but I don't know if I love her. Frank Finley, who we talk hey, about, with uh, in what was that? Uh, Toby Hooper's films, there, Life Force. Toby Hooper. Yeah, Edward Woodward's in this thing. Love him too. So,
1: all right. if you haven't seen Sitting Target, I have I have the uh, Made on Demand or whatever it's called from Warner's.
0: I should see that. Yeah, I want to see that. So I can read.
1: And Em exchange like the buddies, right? The buddies. They they did they yeah. did some some things together, and they're in jail. I know, yeah. Oliver's like, I love this girl. You know, she got big tits. I love her. I'm getting out <laughs> soon. And he's like, Well, this is what I do. Money from the job, and Em exchange. Yeah, buddy. So Ian gets out first. He, he takes Josie, Johnny Foxer. He takes the he takes the loot, and he, he, they go on the land. Oh.
0: Jeez. So right.
1: Oliver Reed gets out of jail. He's like, "What the fuck happened?" <laughs> nice nah, he's pissed. We're What's right. a pissed Oliver Reed like? Whoa!
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we'll get to that very
0: shortly. Yeah, we'll get to that very
1: shortly. So two films um, and three films. Film, it's it's a really fun movie. Uh, it's 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 kind of like screaming uh, testosterone. Um, okay. Because this is like, yeah, you know, a young Ian McShane, when he was still like, you know, go look in here. Oliver, he looks great in this, too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, he, he just happens to look good in this. And, and Jill St. John, you would definitely do her. So, um, it's just a very kind of like. You know, it's, it was a kind of thing that was done afterwards. It was done for TV, American TV, a lot, when they ran out of ideas. Two guys <laughs> in jail. One guy gets out first, takes the girl, takes the money, goes on the lamb. The guy gets out. We hear this was done a little earlier.
2: Right. And,
1: you know, just got this cast of, like, McShane, Oliver Reed, big to the girl. Well, you know, let's go for it, you know. And they reward. Um, That's a gold cast for me. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Edward, Edward Woodward says
0: this too. But the best one's
1: yet to come was EPG.
0: Yes, this is like a odd. strange one. This is an yeah. oddball sci fi film about overpopulation and enforced sterilization. I, I guess, I think it's sort of like a THX 1138 meets the Illustrated yeah. Man, that kind of a vibe. Uh, with all that grim sort of late '60s dystopianism on depressing, like blank white wall, the core style sets—not quite Alphaville, but that kind of idea. Like we we're talking about, uh, they actually predicted the rise of yuppies and IKEA here. <laughs> in that respect, uh, With the horrible like blank walls and whiteness and open space and whatever. Uh, but a strange film. It's a—I think it's a Finnish film, wasn't it? No, it's it's. Uh... Oh, you're right. It was it's finished yeah. in the
1: United States. So, though it's got a lot of British people in it, which is odd.
2: Yeah. Um Diane Hunt- who
1: was who was Mrs. uh Sean Connery, and Don Gordon, who was like a underrated uh, uh uh supporting actor in a lot of movies. Don Gordon showed up in a lot of Eastwood and uh Steve McQueen movies. He was really quite good. He was right. also a screenw- screenwriter too. That's yeah, weird movie and and it yeah, had the most unattractive posters. <laughs> like, um, yeah, it was pretty
0: bad. the covers were just Yeah, uh, yeah,
1: the posters, you know, posters back in the early '70s, posters which what
0: tried to, or or. Uh, well, that was uh, the thing we lost that nowadays it's just the headshots of the stars and they all look the same, 20 different films It's got like, oh look, here's Sean Connery with a concerned face, here's Sean Connery smiling at you so you know it's a comedy, here's Sean Connery looking like upset, that means it's whatever an adventure film, you know, it's like really? here's Sean Connery looking determined, you know, it's a spy film it has got boring, but it used to be that poster art was designed almost like you to draw you in so the fact that this had mm-hmm. shitty poster art was kind of like the kiss of death
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: and it does did you see Blue Blood? No, I not.
1: Yeah, that was on video a lot back in the early days of, of VHS, and I rented it out because, like, it has well, Oliver Reed in it, and he looked kind of heavy, and he played a butler for this uh, really kind of twisted, rich deviates. Uh, not so much mm-hmm. sexually deviates, but just they were deviant, and. The thing was, it was like a turn of power. Uh, the yeah. whole movie it was it was over long and like I don't know, almost two hours. It was over long. It was almost like one of those. Who did that picture of Marian Faithful? Stephen Weeks. Is that his name. Yeah. Yes, Stephen Weeks. It was a very heavy, kind of almost could have been a uh, play possibly. But nobody would go see it as a play. let just make it a movie. And and, and Oliver, is just playing this very, you know, he's speaking very senatorial and halted, uh, very theatrical tones, a la maybe Richard Burton, who we mentioned before. And so, you know, he's a butler for these people. And, you know, the, the slightly sinister thing they want to play on is, is the butler someone else? Right. You know, is he... Darker power. And, and right. it's very ambivalent by the end. You know, it's like, I hate watching movies that by the end, big question mark. Oh, yeah. my thanks are wasting my two hours, you know.
0: Yeah, it's the uh, 70s, I will say that. But, so, what? The Three Musketeers follow. I was going to say, next he did two films that I remember loving as a child, uh, The Three Musketeers and The Four Musketeers. They're separated by about a year. Uh, the first one had Michael York, Frank Finley, Richard Chamberlain, Ra- Raquel Welch, and Charlton Heston. Uh, and The Four Musketeers had much of the same cast, but Ed, Faye Dunaway, and Christopher Lee. Again, uh, that's basically I remember enjoying the shit out of these as a child. Uh, I was pretty young. So uh, you know, there's nothing much more I could say to it other than that he's going back to his sort of costume, action adventure sort of obviously they're sort of based on the Alexandre Dumas uh books, but I thought they were, you know, polished up, made a little bit more I don't want to say Indiana Jones, but that sort of a vibe. You know, they were they were made for a more populous audience. Oh look here have some action adventure with, you know, D'Artagnan and his crew and Athos and Pothos wait, wait, were out there. Athos, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, he was, he was yeah. like the last okay. musketeer, the least, the least famous one, if you will. But you know, I've enjoyed these films. Uh, there's no question about it. Um, mm. Have I seen them since? You know, I've seen them since maybe I probably saw them in reruns a couple of times. But you know, maybe 1979, 1980, when I was like a kid. Uh, no, I've not. Uh, I don't know if they're out there or not. They may be. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing them again, I'll say that, just to see how it you know, reassesses after all these years.
2: Yeah, but that's there.
0: basically, all of the, that's all I have to go on is my childhood memories of enjoying them. I think I actually saw one in the theater as like a really young kid, so uh, it's very possible. And though I, I definitely saw them on TV several times. So, uh, Anything you want to say about those two? Yeah, these, these were one
1: big movie. Um these were one big movie that there was a lot of bullshit going on about this. I remember this. And they, the Salkines, uh, French uh, entrepreneurs, <laughs> uh, produced them. And it was one huge freaking movie that they cut in half. And they didn't want to yeah. pay the people for the second version, The Four Musketeers. And there were huge court cases about this. And they, the Salkind did this again with Superman with Christopher Reeve, Mm -hmm. um, because Richard Lester directed that one, who also directed this. (laughs) Uh, Richard Lester also directed The Three Musketeers and The Four Musketeers. Richard Lester also did Superman um, 2, and Richard Donner directed Superman 1. But the story goes that which, you know, they both worked together in tandem. And there was one big movie that got cut, two.
2: Yes, I heard that. uh,
1: Yeah, there were, like, all these lawsuits and stuff. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is, um, very entertaining, very opulent, very well done. Mm -hmm. Um, Sybil Dannings in this freaking thing. Um, there's a lot of people, uh, they're all, everybody's working at the top of the game. I remember this, you know, Michael York, when he was new, fresh face, uh, oh. before Logan's Run. Um, right. Richard Chamberlain, stu- we, we thought he was still like a straight dude. Uh, <laughs> Oliver, yeah, right, the Thornbirds, the romance of the century. Okay. Show them. Yeah. <laughs> uh Oliver Reed is Porthos, you know, Christopher Lee, <laughs> fucking Charlton Heston, who everybody fucking hates. Anyway, yes. as Cardinal uh, Richelieu. <laughs> well, the one bit of
0: miscasting.
1: We can, <laughs> we can do that. Um,
0: Christopher Lee you know, later on in Fourth month,
1: chris- Yeah, Christopher Lee. But, you know, I think as, as shot as one movie, I, I I guess it was a monumental editing task to make us a two movies. Yeah. But for some reason, the second one wasn't as good as the first one. Oh, well, it's the same movie. That's true. That's true. But, um,. I, I it's still entertaining and it's it's a hell of a, it's a hell of a ride, yeah. Nineteen seventy three, seventy four. It's definitely pre Indiana that, Jones because if you, there there are a lot of really good daring do uh, moments in this. That's interesting. That, but sort of
0: in that them, era, it's very Indiana Jones. Yeah, it is. And in between that is this
1: great Sergio
0: Salima picture called Revolva. Yes, that's which, the one I want to get. This is one yeah. – and we touched on Policio Teschi. We did a show on that recently. It's one yeah. of the very best, if not honestly the best perhaps. I mean you can argue that, but it's re- definitely up there, of Italian Polizia Teschi. Uh, it also stars Fabio Testi. Uh, reads basically this political figure whose wife gets kidnapped and is you know, designed to force the release of one of their buddies is in jail. but. You know, of course he decides to take the matter into his own hands because it's his wife. So it's dark. It's exciting. It's fast-paced. It's violent. It's emotionally wrenching. There's a lot of exciting you – know, typical police attache, you know, chase scenes and whatever the hell going down. Uh, it's got a strong – Ennio Morricone score. It's actually one of Morricone's better scores. Really, really strong movie. I mean I – this is during the period when I showed my wife a lot of Italian cinema, and this is definitely one that she liked a lot. So that says something there, so it appeals across, you know, because sometimes you get your girlfriend or your wife and they don't really care for this kind of shit that you're into. Try this Uh. because she liked it for sure. Uh... Definitely a really, really good film. And Reed really, yeah, okay, he's over the top. He that's the way he is. But you know, you believe him. He's pained. I mean, he's practically crying in one second and he's frothing with rage the next and he's uh you know, he's can fill with self doubt the next one and yet unless he's gotta do it. This is his wife, god damn it. And he's gonna get him back. He doesn't care what's gonna what the consequences are. Uh so it's a really really strong police attached it and may actually be the best of the entire genre to be honest with you so how about you
1: oh yeah and he has a really good rapport with kind of um, yeah you know,
0: it's, oh, it's, it's like a buddy it's, film in certain respects
1: it's like a buddy film and, and then they I like that's how the they
0: switch vibe.
1: You they, they switch that? alpha and beta alpha and yeah. beta at some points they and, definitely and do some that's right. Yeah, yeah, there's very, very interesting stuff. And the the only bummer is like the very end of the movie, yeah, well. where. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, know it's per 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 for the genre, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, Don't want to spoil but, the whole uh, thing.
1: Yeah. No, we're not. We're not spoiling anything. We're not saying what's going on. But, but uh, yeah, the
0: movie kind of
1: ends up like pretty
0: typical. On a questionable note, yeah,
1: let's put it that one. On a questionable note, yeah, yeah. But no, it's very good. Uh, Oliver Reed's very good, and it's—it's like actually he's now in this little period where he's—he's he's doing really good work.
0: Mm-hmm. And This will last
1: for about five years, <laughs>
0: right? Be, so next to before people,
1: slide before he comes back up, yeah.
0: I mean, it's not immediately. There's a film called *More Motion Summer I don't know anything about. But uh, he does – and then we're, there were none for Harry Allen Towers of all people. Uh, obviously, it's an Agatha Christie, one of the many remakes of that uh, book. Uh, it's basically got big Euro names in it. Gert Froba's in it. Elke Summers in it. Adolfo Celli's in it. Maria Rome from the Franco films. Herbert Lam, uh Stefano Drahn. Uh, Charles Hasnevar, of all people. I remember my grandmother getting all excited about uh, Maurice Chevalier and Charles Hasnevar. Uh, Richard Attenborough. Uh, and it's got actually got a voiceover cameo by Orson Welles. So, you know, he wasn't wasting money on this. Harry Allen Powers is known for being a cheap bastard and kind of an exploitation guy over there in England. But, you know, he got some big names to do this. And you know, it's an Agatha Christie film. There's not a lot you can say about it. It's definitely one of her better books, if not her best. Uh I certainly really like the what was it, nineteen forty five, uh and then there were none, the original one. Uh, very, very good film. Uh but you know, I this like one the here. One. Yeah. Oh with uh Fabian, yes. <laughs> uh, uh
1: Hugh O'Brien and uh Shirley
0: Eaton. Oh. Yeah, well that's got Fabian there, doesn't it? I'm pretty sure that was Shirley Eaton. Uh, remember but this—he was doing some cheesy <laughs> piano thing about like ten little Indians. How can you forget him in it? <laughs> it was ridiculous. Totally in Congress. Uh, but this one here, I don't remember that well. But the cast in it says I really gotta see this if I haven't seen it uh, previously. Um, anything you want to say about this one before we go on to Tommy?
1: No, I like, I like it. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, it was shot in Iran. I and um, the palace. I think the Shah of Iran's palace. Well, uh, so uh, yeah, it's typical. It's a story all over again. You know, you know the story. We don't need to regurgitate it. I think yeah. it's, a cast. it's fine. Uh, it's a great, it's a great cheesy cast. Um, I think all reads fine. And then the next was Tommy.
0: Yes, and just so the listeners know, if you're not familiar with the show, in case you're just tuning in for the Solver Read special here, uh, we'll probably go over, so just check us out on the download, uh, because we've got about 10 years to go through here yet. I mean, basically, a lot of the best is behind us, but uh, next comes up Tommy, which is Ken Russell's Over the Top, typically, uh, a film based on the Who album. With Anne Margaret and a lot of big music names like The Who themselves, obviously. Uh, Elton John, Eric Clapton, Arthur Brown, you know, Fire, uh, I'm gonna make you burn, uh, Tina Turner. Uh, you know, as a film, I find its merits a little questionable. I get the hint that you like it more, but you probably like The Who more than I do. Um,. But, you know, as a typically really over-the-top, I don't want to say day-glow, but, like, pushing the boundaries, like, what the fuck am I watching? Ken Russell-type film. Yeah, I mean, it still works. It's definitely watchable. It's just, you know, is it something that I would say, oh, yeah, definitely go check this one out? No, not at all. I mean, I never cared for the album that much, and I certainly uh, thought the film was just like, wow, this is really screwed up. But how about you? What's your take on this one? (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, I, I mean
0: that's my I, opinion. I, I know you feel differently. Like I'm sure that. you do. Right, right
1: then, uh, and, uh, I like that. and and I like Tom. And the movie the movie has problems because he's got all this. Uh, Ken Russell has all this at uh, his fingertips, and he chooses to have them mine a lot of them to pre-record yes. uh, track. True, which in, as opposed to having people sing live, which is which is really weird, and um, it, to the point where it's most noticeable when the band is actually on screen, and, and they're they're so bored they probably you know how many times to shut the scene over. You yes. Watch. They're not even playing chords anymore, and <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's really noticeable, uh, but. That being aside, and that all that stuff, it's it's. I still find it hypnotic. It's weird. It's unusual. It's probably one of the most strangest movies I've ever made.
0: Um, and you got to remember too, this is a film musical, so therefore they're trying to really go over the top. They're trying to push the Buzzy Berkeley gone seventies psychedelic, you know, subversive take on that, and it's just. I don't know, it's too fake and artificial and day I mean, there's an audience that gravitates to this stuff, obviously. Uh, but for me, it was just like, I don't know.
1: I think, excuse me, the only thing Kurt... Uh, Kurt Russell. Yeah, I know.
2: The only Peter thing Ken Airways. Russell did
1: not touch upon. The only thing Kurt Russell didn't do. <laughs> no. The only thing Ken Russell didn't do with this movie unusually enough for him before and after is install his, his perverse sexuality thing.
0: Well a little Isn't bit it? because of uh, cousin whatever his name was there, the Keith. Oh uh, yeah, my my uncle also learned, learned,
1: oh no, Cousin yeah. Kevin. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Cousin Kevin, which is uh whoever the fuck that
1: is. Oh, it's Keith Moore. Yeah. And yeah. Tina Turner's thing. But that that's very bland. It's very like, yeah, so what right. everybody has a twisted fucking uncle that wants to fuck you. But uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. and it's and, and, and every, it runs. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, right. And everybody will, will take you to like like some, some black chick with a big breast that will like shoot you up. And so great yo, legs but, <laughs> Great Legs, yes. And big lips like a mm. like blow Oh of my god. Um yeah, but, something else. <laughs> I miss her. But,
0: <laughs> she's still alive. But. Is he she was dead? Well, wow, that says something. No, I thought she no, was dead.
1: dead. I'm not dead yet.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no. So I, um uh,
1: but um you know just uh, what I meant was the perversity. It's there, but it's homogenized. And I don't yep. understand it based on what he's going for trying to adapt this who uh double double LP set to his own sensibilities, he's just not perverse enough. And right. that's what he really wanted. Like He made Pete Townsend
0: ride a lot. He a sleaze, it. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> what? Like, what you wanted.
1: <laughs> what? what I wanted was what? Sleaze.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, I made it a uh, it wasn't I perverse enough. <laughs> no, no,
1: no, no, not Lisa. I wanted more perversity there because, you go. It's from Ken. <laughs> because it's Ken Russell, huh? yes um and and no, I still enjoy it. um it's a hard movie to turn people on to we, we definitely have to uh, yeah i I, I kind of gave up over the wives and girlfriends over the years that I said, "Hey, you have to watch this now." Yeah, me, I, I can't even picture that. The other yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: It's, it's, it's that kind tough. of
0: film. It's that kind of so, film. So he does a couple more films, and then he does *Burnt Offerings*. Now we talked Dan wait, Curtis wait, films wait, a couple of shows back. Okay.
1: Wait, *Mon pierre You you forgot the big drinking movie? <laughs> <laughs> Which one? <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs> the one where he was teamed with Lee Marvin?
0: <laughs> wow! What? Yeah. Where
1: Oliver Reed played a a a blind and one eye Indian scout. Yes, this is true. Mm. <laughs> it was called the, the Big Great Scout in Cow- Cat House. Cow- yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the, apparently the stories of them drinking are legendary.
0: Yeah, I believe um, that.
1: Because this is like a mess of a movie. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and and and. and, and the the stories were, like, these two guys, you know, Lee Marvin and, and Oliver Reed, would sit down and, like, on the set and drink bottles of booze. And, like, just, who <laughs> oh, hires Oliver Reed to play an American Indian with one eye?
0: I mean,
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, come
0: on. Sergio Salome cast Burt Reynolds as Navajo Joe, so anything is possible here. And don't forget, yep, uh, what was it? Marlon Brando, cast in The Tea House of the August Moon as Chinese. <laughs> or uh, yeah, John yeah, Wayne as the Khan is, in The Conqueror. <laughs> this is the
1: 70s, man. This is the 70s. <laughs> All
0: right,
1: anyway, next it is...
0: So, anyway, we go on to the Dan Curtis film. We discussed Dan Curtis films a couple shows back. But Burn Offerings, basically, it's a... Strangely, ridiculously overrated film uh, with Burtis Meredith and Eddie Davis, the the hideous cross eyed heroine from hell herself, uh, Bar- Karen Black, and the oh, annoying that shit. That yeah, yeah. I always say that. It's my catchphrase for her. The annoying as shit, Lee H. Montgomery, as their whiny spoiled brat of a son. Basically, they move into a haunted house as a summer home. Uh, there's not much to it. You know, it is Dan Curtis. I loved his TV films, as you can hear from that episode. If you go back and listen to that one, Uh, Dan Curtis in the 70s, even Darker Shadows. But this film, I don't know. I had friends that like totally adored it. And I'm just like, I don't know. I can't take Karen Black. I can't really take Betty Davis. And I certainly can't take Lee H. Montgomery. And it's just, I don't know. It doesn't work for me at all. But you know, obviously there's an audience that loves this damn film. You hear it all the time on the internet. I have friends personally who are like totally like, Oh yeah, Burn offerings, Burn offerings, oh yeah, it's finally on a disc. Don't you want Burn offerings? Like, no. <laughs> so how about you? Do you have anything you want to say about it that we didn't already cover? Um I don't
1: remember what we said about this film, but it's not one of Dan Curtis's best movies. Not by and far. It's, uh, Unusual, uh, odd cast that has whatever you said about
0: Karen. Betty well, Davis and Burgess Meredith, what the hell are they doing there? Yeah,
1: well, what would you call Karen Black again?
0: The the hideous cross eyed Harridan from hell herself, Karen Black. <laughs> uh, those of you who want stories from her very first film, she wasn't even a starlet yet. Go back and listen to my interview with Cursor Gordon Lewis. Holy shit, she was a bitch from day one on wheels. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, but, you know, she can help. Her. She's People love her out. though. I don't. I don't understand it. It's like, like, eh, whatever. You know, she's in all these damn films. She's just in nothing.
1: Karen Black or some shit. Uh, yeah, it well, I
0: loved just horror of Karen Black. That was uh, Kimber Fowler, but that's different. I mean, that's a stage, you know, it's very campy, uh, a transgressive art. I like that. Yeah, Karen Black herself is like, oh, God. Uh, you like <laughs> that better than you like the actress. Okay. Yeah, I, I'd rather <laughs> see Kimber Fowler stitch her pussy together and watch Karen Black herself. <laughs> overacting at oh like Airport 75 or whatever the hell. Uh, or uh, what's the other one? She's horrible in uh, Trilogy of Terror. Oh, my God uh woman's really full of herself. People love her.
2: Yeah, uh,
1: that came up. Yeah. What was that movie where she gave somebody a really enthusiastic blowjob?
0: Who was that? <laughs> I remember this. Uh, was the Nicholson one that she did? Uh, Five Easy Pieces uh, I don't uh,
1: know. i no, see a no, bunch no, of her. There, it's like, uh, there, there, there was something. I, gosh. I,
0: I, not that it's worth recalling, but it, it's true. I saw it. <laughs> so he does a couple more films that I'm not, you know, I've never seen. Uh, he does Tomorrow Never Comes, which is a rare Susan George film that I haven't seen. I'm, I'm saying it's rare because usually Susan George, I'm a big fan of hers. I have never seen this thing. It's a crime film, apparently, with uh, Alva Reed, Obviously, um, and it's by, he does
1: it's the, by Peter Collinson,
0: who actually did
1: Sending Target. Which,
0: he does the Big Sleep, which is a very, very late period Robert Mitchum vehicle. Uh, Joan Collins. Is is this is good. One. I did see this one. I didn't think it was bad. But, you know, Robert Mitchum, he's like, what is he, like 65 at that time? He's pretty old. is uh, he, definitely yeah, too old. Yeah, you know what? Yeah. Uh,
1: I, th- I think by by some happenstance, it seems to work. It could have been a lot worse. Yeah?
0: Yeah. No, I think it was horrible, I think, from what I vaguely remember. But it was like, eh, you know whatever. Uh, so then he does a Cronenberg film, uh, The Brood. It's, oh, you remember the 70s? Okay, okay. <laughs> there, there was a lot of weird, yuppie paranoia about having kids' films, you know, like Rosemary's Baby, or the Omen series, It's Alive. I mean, there's dozens of films like this, but you know, that's just like the most famous ones in that period uh, from Cronenberg. And it also starts that bug-eyed weird looker, Samantha Egger, who also has like a cult following of her own. Um... It, it's just strange. I mean, she's got a psychic link with a bunch of weird mutant children. I don't know. I, you know, Cronenberg well, the them. Yes, I like some Cronenberg films a lot. Other ones, I'm just like, what's wrong with this guy? And this is one of those. What's wrong with this guy? <laughs> films for me. Uh, but people love it. So, what, what's your take on this one? Well, you just blew through, past the movie I wanted to talk about.
1: But um, <laughs> no, go ahead. Take that's no, alright. It's fine. Uh, the Brood, yeah, you know I don't like it. I never did. I actually like Rabbit more than I like this one. Oh, Rabbit was great. Uh, I liked that. Yeah, yeah. I, and and there's some. I don't like every
0: Cronenberg film.
1: I'm not one of these people yeah. that that go down on my knees and blow Cronenberg
0: because she's like great. <laughs> I i not like Cronenberg it. for me. Is actually his early stuff. I like Shivers. I like Rabid. I kind of yeah. like Video Drum. And that's kind of it. Everything else is like, yeah. Whatever. I hate Crash. I hate Crash. Yeah. All Crash. Crash.
1: Oh. Oh
0: God! I don't even talk but, about that. And what was with with the one with the twins?
1: Brood? I like watching the Brute. Oh, uh, that was the one with Jeremy Irons, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I I I took a girl on a first date with that, and she wanted to fuck like crazy. And then after that, we broke up. <laughs> Wow. I, yeah, I know. It's, it's crazy. Um, but The Brood is... It's got a really good Samantha Agar performance, no matter what you said. And <laughs> it's got a really good Oliver Reed performance. But... Yeah, yeah. As a movie, e- I don't yeah, know. It's I mean, got a lot more
0: fans and it's got a lot more acclaim than I think it's really deserves. There was a lot of films like this really at that point, hard. especially, where it's like, what? oh my god, I can't believe I'm giving birth to this monster kind of a thing. And that's what this was all about. And it just doesn't work for me. I mean, Samantha Egger I won't say she's ugly, but she's got those weird Popeyes, and I, I don't know, it's just like, the vibe in it is wrong. And it just feels wrong, and not in the right sense. Like, okay, this is like weird and creepy, and I like this. It's just like... Ah, this is antiseptic, and that's the problem a lot of Cronenberg films. It's very antiseptic. It's like a a hospital setting. You know, like let, let me operate on you. It's like,
2: nah, I don't
0: want to deal with this. It's, it's just a lot of his films don't work, and this is certainly one of them. So,
1: what did have you read What was it, Cronenberg and Viggo Mortensen for in the recent one? Where somebody I, said that like the, the like Vigo was supposed to like. This girl and Cronenberg was like, Well, I don't think it's realistic enough, so he fucked his wife in front of the whole cast and crew. <laughs> wow, and said, This is the way I want you to. This apparently is now legend. This is the way <laughs> I want you to. So
0: they don't even know what this is. Cronenberg's hey, a strange guy, he's intelligent, but he's strange. Um, strange,
1: yeah, most intelligent people are strange. Look at us. Yeah, oh, there
0: you go. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'll try to pick up the pace a little bit because we're getting towards the end, and we you know, we don't want to go too far over. But uh, Doctor Heckle and Mister Hype, which is kind of a weird comedy about this oh, ugly man. but nice podiatrist, and he becomes this handsome, needy It's a canon film. We took canon films a couple shows back. Uh, Line of the desert. Directed by Charlie Griffith. Do you remember who that was? No, I don't know what his name. He didn't yeah, shop cars. Really. <laughs> But I didn't like that film either, so there you go. Uh, but <laughs> I won't say Dr. Heck, i sorry, it was that horrible. It's just like, eh, it's kind of less than better. You know, for the, for that period of strange comedies and things like that, it's like, yeah, there's a, better ones a, to be found.
1: The Lion of a Desert was right. directed by Mustafa Akkad, which was at some point in time, I don't know if people like might be too young or even care, but <laughs> in the mid-80s, Early eighties to mid eighties, there was a lot of Middle Eastern money coming into Hollywood. This yes. is before we kick them kicked them the fuck out. And <laughs> there there was money coming in and they were like, Let's make movie with American. Okay, fun. Hmm. And there was like there was the the one about uh Mohammed? was it yes. called? I oh and I
2: know
1: yeah, there was a but and there was Lion of the desert
0: with like line of the desert was Quinn. a big deal at the time, and yet if yeah. you look at it it's kind of a boring historical slash war movie with you know it's got a decent cast if you're looking at mainstream stars anthony Quinn rod steiger and Andrew Keir from the Hammer films, but I don't know it's just like yeah whatever it's not my kind of movie so what'd you, what you what's your take
1: good yes oh. uh, you know it was like eh. Yeah, you know, I, I, I am sure this is probably put him back on the road to drink it if he wasn't drinking heavy again today. Yeah. Like, what so the yeah, hell am I doing in don't... the desert with all these
0: fucking guys?
1: And yeah. I don't know. What am I playing
0: in German? I don't know. And then. He <sighs> weird films from here or not. He does Condor Man, which he's basically the baddie. In this weird Disney film, it's a Disney take on films like, uh, if you remember from the, to- the era, Hero at Large with John Ritter, uh, Juan Pique Simone, who we covered in the Spanish horror film uh, show, Supersonic Man, uh, The Puma Man, and films like that. It's like kind of an everyman that's kind of in over his head comedy satire on Richard Donner's Superman, if you will. Uh co stars in this. You got a Playboy Playmate, which is Barbara Carrera. Uh Vernon Jobchef of like the Full Moon Empire, we talk still? full moon. So, yeah, when we were talking full moon films, uh using catacombs. But it's I don't know, it's, it's a strange film. What are you gonna say about it? It's a uh, it's a weird Disney film from a very strange period in Disney history when they got past stuff like the Apple Dumpling Gang and they were doing things like Watcher in the Woods. But it wasn't quite mm-hmm. to the point where they start doing, you know, stuff like Mulan and Beauty and the Beast and then, you know, Pixar and all that crap. Uh it, it's it's an odd film. There's really nothing to say about it. Uh anything you want to toss in before we move on to Venom?
1: Yeah, it was Barbara Kareemer. <laughs> yeah, well there you go. Playboy Playmate. She was kinda of hot. Uh she was so. She looked really hot. Uh, it's a mess of a movie. You know, this is before Michael Crawford became like every chubby girl's fantasy from *Phantom of the Opera*, um, <laughs> the Broadway show. Uh, he was. He was like, and uh, sort of like the um, on the edge of these uh, slap and tickle pictures we did remember that we covered. It was oh, Michael Parker yeah. was always around there, and he did uh, he did a couple of those kind of things and really small roles. He did, you know, he probably did a couple things here and there that like, no one took notice of. And he tried this career singing career, and then he tried acting. And I don't know, he did this fucking thing. And I was like, why would you put like somebody like that in this? But Anyway, uh this
0: nobody's
1: recognized and
0: uh leads us to Venom. Yeah, Venom I like a lot. This is actually one of my personal like top five, top ten uh uh Oliver Reed films. Not necessarily <laughs> deserved. Uh it's got Klaus Kinski. In it. It's the only time you're gonna see Oliver Reed and Klaus Kinski together. And those two guys, if there was a better or worse pairing made in hell, this is it. <laughs> Uh, but they don't do a lot of interaction, and when they do, they are clearly at each other's throats because, like, oh my god, this bastard is trying to outact me, and it really becomes a competition. Um, is it a good film? I don't know. I sure enjoy the a lot of it. Uh, also, Susan George is in it, and I'm a big Susan George fan. Um Basically, Oliver is a chauffeur come kidnapper who's in league with the other two. Uh, Kinsky is like the big criminal that brings the other two in on this, uh, and it's a plot where they do this kidnapping of this you know rich person's son, but they wind up facing off against the Black Mamba because somehow the kid is like a herpetology fan or some shit, and he got a, a snake that he shouldn't have gotten, and it's kind of crawling through the vents, and it winds up you know it, it gets complicated, uh, but I do enjoy for what the film is. It's kind of a weird British programmer. I enjoy the hell of it. And just the fact that you've got Klaus Kinski and Oliver Reed together in the same film, and then throw in Susan George for the eye candy, done. That's it. Done deal. I'm good. <laughs> so, how about you?
1: <laughs> I, I I don't know. I saw this in the theater and I barely remember it. And I know recently it's been an all-star blow-out-the-lights Blu-ray and people have been like doing everything but foaming at the mouth about it. I've been watching this online and it's like, I don't like it in the movie theaters too much. I, I, It's okay. It's not
0: a good movie. movie. It's just that it's, no. it's fascinating for the cast more than the movie itself. The cast the movie is, itself, is Yeah, yeah. It's a typical programmer, if you will. It's like a kidnapping type crime film. Uh, but but things got worse. worse for like the, for well, yeah, now it gets really questionable. So he goes to the sting too, which I've never seen, thank God.
1: Uh, but he But, uh, but, funny
0: joke. I, I, but the
1: thing too is, is, is the funny things I have to say about this. So you had Robert Redford and Paul Newman. Yeah. So how do you <laughs> replace them for the single, a uh, sequel? Jackie Gleason and Mac Davis.
0: Oh, Mac Davis, <laughs> Ethan. Ethan. Now, <laughs> uh, who's
1: Mac Davis? Right. At some point in time, Mac Davis was really a uh, country
0: singer. Country he was a popular guy. country singer. He did, a, he did a bunch of Elvis songs during the 70s. Uh, a lot of them were written and by he, like, had a, he had a
1: couple of like, easy listening hits. Baby, baby, don't get hooked on me. You know, don't that. eat right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And 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 he had like a TV show. It was like a a poppier version of Johnny Cash or some shit like that. So yep. how do you replace Robert Shaw? to get Oliver Reed. yeah Okay. <laughs> And how do you re- remember who directed this thing? But how do you replace that guy? You get somebody named Jeremy Kagan. Who the fuck is that?
0: <laughs> I have no idea.
2: <laughs> I was like, yeah, "It's um, Terry Kagan."
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah, we're going to check right now. He directed Columbo episodes. Wonderful. So, <laughs> 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 So somehow they released this thing onto the public as the Sting 2. Isn't nobody going to notice that Robert Reffer turned into Jackie Gleason? Um, the funny thing was, this is a side note that, yo, know, Jackie Gleason's Jackie Gleason, The Honeymooners, uh, lots ben of Zoom. stuff. The guy, very, very talented, very talented guy. You can't knock that. And uh, almost a genius at comedy for some things. Oh. So <laughs> he disappears in the limelight, and then in reruns in the 70s and early 80s. As everybody's getting stoned, watching on local TV, oh, what is this stuff? The, the, re, the honeymooners have become popular again. Suddenly, yeah. Jackie Gleason is popular. He does a movie with Richard Pryor that wasn't very good, the toy. And then they said, wow, this guy's really po- super popular. Let's put him in The Sting Part two. Okay. <laughs> So you know, it's it's unmemorable. It's terrible. Poor Oliver Reed. Yep. And
0: so he, this is where things get really bad for Oliver. <laughs> yeah, from here on out, it's questionable. He does Fanny Hill, which has uh, Wolfred Hyde Wright from Bug, Buck, Buck Rogers, Barry Stokes from Ups and Downs a Handyman, which we covered during our slap and tickle films, and also from Norman Warren's Prey and Spaced Out, which we covered during our uh, Norman Warren uh, and Pete Walker show. And Shelley Winters, Uh, you know, really, is that what you're thinking of when you think of erotic uh, literature? Uh, Two of a kind. Spasms, which is a weird – it just came out from Code Red. Uh, He's got a psychic link with the evil giant snake, and Peter Fonda's in it as a herpetologist. Uh, He does a couple other weird films. Gore, which is a cheap SF fantasy with Jack Palance, or Jack Palance, with Playboy Playmate. Once again, Rebecca Ferrati. Uh, Wheels of Terror, which is also known as the Misfit Brigade. Horrible, horrible Scorpion film. It's a real stinker. It's one of the few Scorpion films I got that I immediately (laughs) sold back. Uh, The only one that I'm thinking of besides that that I did that with was Body Melt. Uh, It's got a bit part with David Carradine in it, but... It just sucks ass. Uh, he started doing some films. Uh, they basically like, shot on video type jobs. He did the Adventures of oh, Baron um, the, uh, There's go
1: Castaway. Ahead. There's Castaway, though,
0: for Nicholas Yeah, Castaway's there. Yeah.
1: Uh, very, um, very strange movie.
0: Hey, yeah, go ahead if you want to say something about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's got Amanda Donahue, who was in... Uh, Oh, she was hot. She was in Ken Russell's, uh, what the hell was that thing? Larry Wake Worm. Smoking hot. Yeah. I liked her. Smoking <laughs> hot.
1: And actually, since Oliver has a lot of like nude scenes, he, he dropped off about a couple of pounds. And <laughs> um, it's a very weird kind of movie. It's almost like a Ken Russell movie made by Nicholas Rogue, if such a thing can even be imagined.
2: Well, Rogue um, is
0: not that far removed from Russell just without the uh, joie de vivre, if you will. I mean it's hard to put that the terms, but you know, the, it doesn't have the color and the, okay, let's get decadent kind of vibe. You know what I mean? It, but if if you took all the color, sucked all the color out of it and all the life out of a kind of Russell film, you could get an Echoes Rogue film. I mean, look at my films he had with Teresa Russell, and of course Ken Russell had *Whore*, which is one of my favorites at first. <laughs> Again, someday we'll get to Ken Russell. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know, it's fun. a very interesting <laughs> movie. It's not it's
1: not a great movie, but you
0: know, it's uh,
1: he did work with Nicholas Rogan. and I think he doesn't embarrass himself, which is a good thing.
0: So down the road, he does Adventures of Baron Munchausen, which is this screwed-up Terry Gilliam film uh, from uh, Monty Python. It's sort of like a Dayglo version of Time Bandits and not all that far removed if you want to look at it this way as a live-action version of the cutout heads that eat each other in Monty Python films, which Gilliam was responsible for. Uh, it. I never understood this film. I never got its popularity. Uh, it starred Uma Thurman, Jack Palance, Sting, and Eric Idle, of course, from Monty Python. But I don't know what to say about this one. It was just, what the fuck am I watching? It was one of those kind of films. Um, he did Hire. I always liked that. I always liked that. So go ahead. Yeah. Oh no,
1: I always liked that. I thought John Neville, who was like a stage actor, was really good in study in terror, I think, is Sherlock Holmes. I'm sixty five. Uh, was uh, quite good as Baron Munchausen. How he got so much money to make an oddball movie like this, I have no idea. And uh Mikulay Suave was a second unit guy, which we talked right. about before.
0: Um Yes we did Suave show.
1: Strange movie, uh, Uma Thurman was Venus. And I remember Oliver Reed played... uh, Whoever was in love with Venus, whatever God. Yeah. And there was like... The movie was strange, though, because there were like these sections of it. A lot of it was sections. And um, the the section involving (laughs) Venus... She came in a clamshell. And one of really gorgeous. It's like like
0: Botticelli, yeah.
1: <laughs> Very photogenic. And Oliver E. was like this god that was in love with her. And he would scream like, what are you doing? He was bellowing, actually. What are you <laughs> doing? So said, you don't love me. Yes, I do. No, you don't love me. I do. What are do you doing? And then it became like this portion of the movie it became like Oliver Oliver Reed screaming at Uma Thurman, yep. and then finally so. she thought she loved him, and and then like Brian Munchausen like, okay, I'll go on, so you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so he does Hired to Kill, which is a Nico Mastarakis film, which is highly enjoyable. I definitely recommend it. And those of you who are interested in hearing the full story behind this, definitely check out the Third Eye Cinema interview with Nico Mastarakis. He goes into some really hilarious detail about it. Uh, basically, it's a film with Brian Thompson, uh, who was in a lot of these kickboxing films and stuff at the time, posing as a gay fashion designer. To bring down, uh, he brings an all female group of supposedly fashionistas, but they're really fighters uh, to take down this prominent businessman, come gun runner, come dictator in like a South American country that's sort of unnamed or non existent. And of course, that's Oliver Reed we're talking about. And there are some homoerotic instances in it, and Reed is just beyond belief, not only on the film, but on the set. There's a fantastic story that Nico tells about him. Uh I'll give this much away. Essentially pissing all over the entire cast from a helicopter. He switched out his dick and of pissing everybody. Uh this is a laugh. Um unbelievable. Uh stories behind it, very funny. You should definitely check out the Nico Mastarakis' interview on Third Eye Cinema. Uh that's at third eye Uh but I enjoy the film per se. It's just you know, fun for what it is. It's a, a cheesy action film with weird, almost Russell-esque comorotic elements to it. Uh, and he does the Pit in the Pendulum, which is a Stuart Gordon film. Uh, we touched on some of those kind of things uh, when we were talking Full Moon, uh, with Jeffrey Combs in it and Lance Henriksen. I didn't like this film that much. Uh, Reed has a bit part as the Cardinal. Not much to say about it other than that's kind of like a bland historical going into which friend of General Vane. and then you know after a couple of more questionable films he does Gladiator which we had mentioned, and he had died on set because of the drinking contest so or you know whatever the case may be he died in a bar basically drinking, uh, which may have been the way he wanted to go out. Um, he actually did something they did some kind of mock British show we looked do your own obituary and that's how he said he wanted to go. So hey, one way or another he went the way he said he wanted to go. So, anything else you wanted to say about any of these films or about Oliver himself? Mm-hmm.
1: As we race to the conclusion. Well, yeah, we're trying uh, to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Our show ran a little longer than we expected to tonight, but the guy did a lot of good work and a lot of interesting yeah. work, so we wanted to address that. Um, yeah, as we said at the outset, whether Oliver Reed... Went the way he wanted to, or whether it was just like a victim of weird circumstance, or just an unfortunate thing that happened. Um, with Gladiator Seth. <laughs> um, uh, it's a shame, all the same, yeah, because you know, at 60, he was still young, he could have worked, uh, don't know. you know, you never know. Um, so, uh, we miss him in a way because we will never see the likes of that kind of person. Things yeah. have changed a lot. And that yeah, we will never see the likes of a Richard Burton, a Peter O'Toole, and Oliver Reed. And then, in a way, we'll miss the braggadocio. We'll miss... But we'll also miss the from-the-heart, the, the from-the-gut kind of acting. And and, and yep. if, if I may say, and some people might say it's a stretch, but Brando, we will never see... That ilk again, for a long time. You know, someone who's raw and hungry and willing to work in the strange kind of roles, but still imbue a little bit of their own personality, which makes the movie weird and different. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yep. Yeah, he was... Existentially authentic. There's no question about it. You can't say that Oliver Reed did uh, was playing a game. He was who he was on screen and off screen. Uh, And there's a lot to be said for that's why I brought up earlier people like you know Gable and um, you know Bogart and you know this guy was who he was. Uh, not so much Cary Grant because he was playing a role even off set, uh, but nonetheless, it, you know, he, even though he was an actor and a stage actor and stentorian and, you know, authoritarian in a lot of senses, uh, nonetheless, he basically brought his own persona to every role he played. And, you know, for better or worse, I mean, you see him on things like this Night Show. I'm like, Wow, okay, well, do I like this? Am I with him or am I like, wow, this guy's a fucking asshole? It's hard to say. It depends on where you stand, you know, politically and socially and whatever else. But me personally, I respect him just for the fact that he was who he was. He said what he said and he meant it. Uh, because he was that person. And you know, I definitely enjoy his films. He did a lot of great work. I certainly enjoy his Ken Russell stuff. I enjoy a lot of his hammer stuff, and I enjoy a lot of the other films he did. Uh, I have, you know, I basically down the bottle and salute to the guy. I ter- certainly um, respect Oliver Reed and uh, toast to his memory, uh, for better or worse. I mean, he wasn't like the greatest guy on earth or anything like that, but uh, definitely worthy of uh, giving some respect to in terms of acting and what he has left us as a legacy in film. So anything else you wanted to say before we close out?
1: i say – say – Yes see, you, Oliver Reed. Thank you for the uh, memories. That's it. All right, so and, uh, thank you for listening to the show. Yeah, and we'll be back next week for our last show for the summer about, about uh, Euro
0: Horror. So let's see. I'll pull this up. And it is... Euro Eurospy. Euro Spy. Okay, I'm going off the top of my head here. All right, so yes, week 41. In surprising. <laughs> James Bond films, movie makers around the globe, race to put forth their own homegrown versions of MI6's favorite son, Janice Bond. Occasionally utilizing pre-existing detective spy stories like Belgium's Francis Coplin, Germany's Rolf Turing, but more often creating their own from scratch, directors from such nations as Italy, Spain, Germany, and France in particular, would release a flurry of pictures revolving around such recurring characters as OSS-117, Commissar X, Agent X-17, Jerry Cotton, and even Let Me Call who we'll be talking about when we talk uh, uh, Eddie Constantine uh, we already addressed many British TV spy series Jeremy's Edgar Wallace and Dr. Mabusa Creamies and James Bond himself so join us next week as we take on the rest of the Eurospy Canon only here on Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Blind as we talk Spies, Thighs and Private Eyes so uh, that's basically it we will see you next week and uh, then we will see you probably in early September for the new season Anything else you want to say, or close out? Thank
1: you for listening. Enjoy the night. All right.
0: Thank you for joining us. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our little chat on Wolverine. Uh just- Next week, we'll be talking to our smartphones. If you'd like to contact us here, comments, suggestions, or you are filming a us on Air, drop us online line on our Facebook page, Facebook.com forward slash Brute One, or our website, Brute Teens One.com. Uh, we're also on Twitter at Twitter.com forward slash Brute One, or free-tons-one. Which is at Brute One. We're just inside the Goldmine, brought to you like by the Green Online Network. At least at the moment, i okay.